to episode 270 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. This episode is 270, and it's recorded in front of a live studio audience, and here I am with Jason Roberts, and how many people would you say are here, Jason? Twelve. Twelve people in our front room, uh, well, my front room, and it's a, a beautiful day in Pasadena. Let's get this show on the road. So, what you got? Pretty much all talked out, I think. That's about all I got. <laughs> Yeah, so we've been doing this. So we we started the uh, Texing Summit last night. Um, everyone, a lot of guys flew in. Some drove in. Um, uh, Vitols actually came in from Latvia. I think that's the farthest. Uh, ben came in from London. Um, so we got people from all over. People came in last night. We had dinner at uh, Ceriso in Old Town, mm-hmm. and then that went into uh, drinks at uh, Lucky Ball once. And this morning we had breakfast at your favorite restaurant, La Cote. Le Pan Cote d'Ain in Pasadena. Right. right. And then uh, coffee or coffee or whatever. At, um, oh, my God. It's been an unending day of restaurants. We've just done restaurant after restaurant after restaurant. The Equator. Equator. The Equator. Uh, and then it was off to Argentine 1810. Which was great. Nice if you like beef. Yeah. Beef steakhouse. And uh, then we came to, to my place here. And Georgie has put on a spread of a lot of desserts. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I think Joe was when he said he's like, I've never sat in restaurants all day long. <laughs> like just one after the other. But, you know, it's actually kind of worked out. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's like, well, where else are you going to go? Mm-hmm. Well, you got to go somewhere. And it's like, are we just stand around on the sidewalk? Or, I don't know, I guess you could, we could have spent all day hanging at your house, but it's better to be at a restaurant because you get served whatever you want. You know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's been, I don't know, it's been pretty cool. I think it's been, it's been amazing to meet all the different um, people like, representation of the it, it, i mean i guess this is the representation of the texting audience so it's great to see that there is no one kind of texting listener <laughs> yeah we have we have we have guys who are developers and we're yeah. very technical we have guys who are more entrepreneurial and we have everyone in between and uh people are doing startups people are not doing my favorite question things. to ask has been why do you listen to the show Really, what's the, what kind of answers? Well, the, well, I think the the the, the general answer has been um, they they found us through an interview, and then they thought that our life stories, I guess, the kind of reality show aspect of of just what we do, was interesting. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, as I've always said, it's kind of like the Biggest Loser. It's like you're not really sure why you're watching this show, but you really want to know if that woman loses the 15 pounds she has to lose to not get kicked off the show. That's true. You know, it's a good job that that isn't a prerequisite of our show because yeah, I, I'd be like long time fucking ago. screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, no, it's been great. It's great meeting everybody because you yeah. know we've exchanged emails with a lot of. Them. I mean, obviously we've met you know some of these guys in person before. You know, I know Alex and we've met Ben and Ben's been here before and Richard. We've we've met it, hung out with at Microconf and you know, but then obviously a lot of new guys. Of course, and Jeff and Matt used to play on my soccer team back a long time ago. So it's yeah, good range. That's cool. So what are we going to talk about? Well, uh, you put a list of topics out there for us to talk about, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we've only spoken about two of them so far during the meals because it's been very just organic. We haven't really focused on any of the predetermined topics. Okay, well, I'll let you, you know, you bring up what you want to talk about first. Go ahead. What you got? Uh, nothing. You had, you had you, well, you had something about Elon Musk and colonizing Mars. You had this big. It was almost <laughs> like an essay question <laughs> at the. I was like ten part question series of questions. <laughs> For an hour and a half essay, I was like, wow. You know, I just put it in there to, like, show that I wasn't, you know, ignoring you guys. I just wanted to, like, put a question in. But basically... Justin can do questions. (laughs) 
No, just the thought that, um, I mean, if Elon Musk gets his way, we'll be traveling to Mars. We'll be colonizing, colonizing Mars. We'll be creating a new society in Mars. So apart from the technological feat of that, there's a lot of social uh, issues about that. And the question was just about that, you know, like, what, who would run that place? What, what would the government be like? What would the rules be like? What constitution would they use? All, all those kind of... Well, wasn't... I thought I, I... I didn't read the story, but I saw a headline last week. I think that NASA and SpaceX have worked out some kind of a plan or deal about going... Oh, about Mars? Oh, wow. About Mars. I mean, I don't know what the whole thing involves. Unfortunately, I didn't read it, but... Um, so, my guess is... I could imagine the EU getting involved. Um, but if it was a U.S. SpaceX thing, then you can imagine that the U.S. government would probably lay claim to this is our colony. The Mars is ours. Well, not Mars, but that'd be our colony. Where they landed. Where they land, like, this is kind of like, you know, well, like you say, oh, look, 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 okay, you know, first you have, like, three people or seven people or something there, right? Yeah. And then it slowly expands over a decade, and maybe you have, like, a couple hundred people 500 people there or something. Imagine that. And that would be some pretty, some extensive complex that might span a few square miles or something like that. Wouldn't they try and, and claim the planet, though? I don't think there's any reason to do that. But I think what would happen is, and they probably wouldn't for political reasons because there's not a whole lot to gain. I mean, it would probably piss a lot of people off. But that complex would probably have to be governed under some kind of a law. Yeah. And if the U.S. government spent majority of the money, they would probably lay claim to legal um control over the complex right do you think that given that it's going to be like a one-way trip first time around do you think that the people well is that a foregone conclusion i don't i don't agree that that has to has to be the case i think right. people may be sent there with the assumption that this very well will be the case like set people's expectations low right right you ain't coming back right <laughs> but it could be the thing that like you know, once you make a few round trips there and maybe some, we, maybe there's a breakthrough in, in, in propulsion, rocket propulsion or something else. I mean, there's a lot of kind of cool things on the drawing board. I mean, I'm not even talking about the really super advanced stuff, but there's some kind of cool stuff you'll see on the science channel. They'll say, well, we're talking about, you know, ex accelerating something using a laser and pushing the satellite or pushing the ship or things like that. And maybe you figure out some ways that, you know, okay, well, you've been there 15, 20 years. Actually, it turns out we can send people we'll back. We'll find a way to get them back. Yeah, or maybe what happens is that they can um, they can actually manufacture the rocket fuel huh. there. I think they were talking about how it would be possible to manufacture rocket fuel with the uh, resources there. So if you set up a complex, maybe you had over a period of 15, 20 years, you've had, you know, 20, 30, you know, well, actually probably once a year you go out because that's in Mars. And but you'd be sending close. stuff out that, gave, that gradually gave them the capability to come back. Yeah, so maybe after 15, 20 <coughs> trips you have a lot of stuff you have bigger bigger rockets maybe you send five rockets at one time roughly and they all get out there you gradually move in yeah well then it's like okay now we have of an us of an industrial base here enough that we can manufacture rocket fuel that we can actually come back so but of course you wouldn't want to promise that because you're like people get really pissed if they get there and they're like what wait i don't get to go back or you know they would change their mind you know yeah. you want people to really convince it <coughs> would, would we be sending initially people who would create families or would it just be just scientists? Like, who would we have that in our mind? I'll bet you for, um, I think people would argue that it would be inhumane to, to raise kids there yeah. that early on. I think it'd be like, 
you know, these expedition teams in Antarctica. But it'd be inhumane to not have sex there. But if you, well, well, no, no, but you, you send people, you send people, you send scientists who are in their 40s. You know, maybe they, maybe what, they people don't stop having sex in their 40s. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I, like, I don't want to get in your personal life. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, the point I'm making is, is that people would have sex. Therefore, yes. ergo kids. But if the women were in their 40s, would likely not be able to get pregnant uh, or they have hysterectomies or whatever. So maybe people who've decided that they just don't want kids. And maybe there's, some, there's some questions from the, from the audience. Yeah. Alex. Wasn't, didn't Elon Musk say that he needed like a million people to do a colony? And that's, that to me said that was the big enough gene pool. He said the, the minimum size for a gene pool for a, for a Mars colony. He wanted a million people there. Yeah. So, you know, you'd imagine the first. I don't know, 10 or 15 years or whatever we're talking, that's sort of like the, um, you know, that's the, uh, the be- they're establishing the beachhead. Yeah. Right. Before you start really getting masses of people, thousands of people coming out. Um, so when those first, the, the beachhead steps, so like maybe you break it into phases, right? There's like the, the first five scientists who set up there for a year by themselves. It's like an Antarctica post. And then you got another 10. And then, so they probably up until you get to some critical mass, it's like we actually have a society. It's not just a, you know, a, a research team or expanded research team. And those people, they would say, all right, look, we don't have the facilities, the resources to, to, to deal with kids and educating them and, you know, if there's sicknesses or whatever. And also, you know, it may not be fair to, have a, to, to expect a, a kid to be raised at this, you know, in a, in a situation like that. Anymore, you would raise them at, at a research post, outpost in Antarctica. It would be home. I, so anyway, I, you know, regardless, <laughs> I don't think politically, socially, people it would accept that. doesn't make sense. Okay. So yeah. what... This is the easy solution is like we're gonna pick people, probably married couple. Beyond you could you, maybe the first research people who've had kids, people have had Older kids, people. or if a lot of a lot of a lot of people have just opted not to have kids. I mean, I have friends who yeah, just they're yeah. not just having kids. The 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 woman is past the point that she's gonna even have kids. It's out of the question. It's not an issue, and they're more into research. Yeah, I have a few that. sets of friends who've made that decision, there, and they they say um, whenever we see people with kids, they're always so stressed and like they just look so tired. They just rather spend all the money on themselves and live their own life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, you, you know, I'm not sure you could find couples that are scientists that are both scientists, and they're like, you know, we're into our research, we're into this, and we're not, we don't have kids, we're not going to have kids, we're too old to have kids, whatever, and that's fine. So, you have, you know, your first few hundred, or maybe even your first few thousand people, kind of fall into that category, and then maybe after that point, you're like, okay, now we have enough an industrial base. We have bigger rockets. We have this is more of a of a thing, a regular thing, you know. And now you're bringing over 500 people at a time, and now it's like, okay, we can have our first kids come over, or rather, would you bring your family to Mars? I don't, you know, not until <laughs> you could come back. Until it was like a, it was. I mean, it was just like flying to England or something. It was just a a holiday destination. You'd, you'd well, go then. I think I don't. I, I think um, it depends how long the trip would take, you know, because there's some some propulsion that I, uh, systems I've read about. You could you could make it in like uh, three weeks or uh, or three months on the long side, three weeks, like depending on which propulsion system you're talking about and how how well it works. But you could imagine that kids of a certain age could do the three months, you know, um, three weeks for sure. But you could do three months. Anything longer than a certain amount would just probably be not. You can't ask like a five year old, a ten year old to do that. I mean, you can barely take them on a transatlantic flight without it just the ship itself would have to have some good amenities like pool tables pool tables i mean <laughs> video games for kids no it'd pool. be cool to play pool in space wouldn't it like yeah. hit the ball and it like goes well so, so the, the, the one of the key key issues between the long-term um 
flights would be exposure to radiation, right? Oh, kids right. growing up are probably, I don't know this for sure, probably check, but I would imagine that kids might be more susceptible to um, radiation really causing problems with their DNA. Oh, okay. Right. But even apart from that, it's like, you know, when you, if you're in zero gravity for any length of time, is the muscle, oh, the bone density. Yeah, density. Of course, yeah. And if you're, I mean, I don't know if they have any research, like, well, how does that affect an adolescent growing? They definitely don't have any research. Yeah, so I can imagine that there would be a lot of resistance to wanting to do something like that. Yeah. Unless we figure out a way to have some way, you know, this sort of revolving, you know, we kind of create this artificial gravity by like a spinning, you know, ship. But that's like such a massive undertaking of itself. That would probably be like 50 to 100 years off. So I'm guessing that you're talking for decades, it would be really be, it would be the closest analogy would be an Antarctic uh, Research Institute. Yeah, pioneering. Well, well, could could it be like when people first started to inhabit Americas, the Americas, for example? Well, when they first came over, I mean, I mean, I guess you had, uh, you know, Columbus and some of those other explorers, and they came and they basically were looking like, hey, what kind of minerals? Or yeah. is there gold? Or or is this India? Oh, it's not India. Like, okay, well, can we get gold or whatever? And then, um, and then, so that was what fourteen ninety seven or something. And then after that, it was like. Um, so when did the when did the first uh, pilgrims arrive? Was it fifteen? Are you asking me? I'm English. I'm English, and I know nothing about history. <laughs> Thirty or something, fifty. So they all came over as a big group, right? Yeah. Families and everything. So it's a, it's a kind of similar. Like this, it's a shot across the ocean. Yeah, and that was like what, like a three month trip. Yeah, that was three month trip. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, so I don't think most of. England or Europe gave a damn about some sort of semi-marginalized group of people wanting to take a ship and go somewhere. They're like, yeah, good luck, whatever. Yeah. F off, right? But, uh, you know, but the world all the world yeah. is watching about how we're going to Mars and everyone's going to have going to be a lot of opinions. And you can imagine all the pundits and talking heads and news talking about who should go and who shouldn't and is it fair and what's the dangers. And, like, it would just be so overanalyzed that you'd have to be very very careful and even politically correct about how you did it i mean the main thing you'd need to make sure that no one with ebola got on the on the flight uh-huh nice segue <laughs> <laughs> so you want you want to talk about the big e yeah sure it's so one of we, our topics okay so we talked about this last night i thought it was an interesting <laughs> conversation i that was one of the topics i i emailed out as that i thought would be worth talking about as a, as a group and we we talked about last night for a while at um at uh well, lucky ball ones. Yeah. yeah. And, um, English, which is supposed to be an English pub. That's yeah, pre- well, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. The sausage rolls were okay. I did feel a little bit, a little bit sick, but really? apart from that, it was good. But how, uh, how realistic was the food and the drink? It was real food authentic. and drink. I mean, authentic <laughs> for England, right? <laughs> um, for England, uh, it was, it was, I mean, it's, it wasn't, it's not the same as an English pub. I mean, I'm looking at Alex there who knows English pubs very well. Thanks. <laughs> I did, but I didn't go to Lucky Baldwin. Oh, you didn't? Yeah. I, I, oh, okay. Yeah, it was good. It was it was an approximation. Okay. So, on the Ebola thing, I think you start. Well, you have a question about it. You want to? You want me to make a statement? You, yeah, you bring it up. You you set it up. Uh, this is your thing. That sucks. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so the the way I set it up is like Ebola, media hype, or real? Yeah. Right. Threat. Right. Right. So what is it? So we keep getting the really I'd say there's two types of articles that we're seeing that are taking uh, that are taking position on this. There's a one there's the article which is um, 
Everyone needs to relax. It, Ebola is not contagious unless you come in direct contact with bodily fluids. Um, and the chance that you're going to get Ebola is less likely than you dying on a roller coaster. Like that kind of stuff. So basically, if you're worried about it, you're being ridiculous. And we got this under control. You know, that kind of stuff. But then on the other hand, you hear, um, you hear certain doctors from the World Health Organization or people who've worked at the CDC and stuff, and they're like, this is really, really scary because virus time is, we're, we're, we have virus time working against bureaucracy time. And bureaucracy time is getting its ass kicked. And we started off slow. We, re- we should have reacted this three to six months ago. We put in two little resources. Um, we've made some poor decisions. Um, and not only in terms of how we're reacting to it in Africa, but even looking at what we've done in the United States, it's just like one screw up after another, right? It's like, so this guy, he's from Liberia. He says, he tells the, the registration nurse or whoever takes down the initial information that he just recently went to West Africa with Liberia. The nurse takes the notes. Doctor never sees it because of a the, the software wasn't set up to show the notes in the right way. He doesn't know. So they send the guy home. He has a temperature and in, in you know symptoms. Two days later, he gets rushed to the hospital. The EMT people are potentially exposed. Bring him in. He's got Ebola. And then it's like, okay, that was a major screw up by itself, right? And not only that, he exposed five kids who then all went to school, and they had like I don't know twelve people who they were concerned about. And then you get in the hospital. And you get not one but two nurses who treated him after they knew had a, had a, after they knew he had Ebola get infected, and they even had on, you know, full gear. I mean, it wasn't a complete hazmat suit. There, there, there was actually their necks were exposed, so they had on like the face, you know, hel- you know what I forgot the plate. It's kind of a glass plate mm-hmm. and gloves and suit and all that kind of stuff, and they still get it. And and it's like, well, how is that possible? They were they were. Is that confirmed though? That last yeah. statement, Where, like, so you, okay, so you've read that? Yeah, I read that. Yeah, okay. that the only thing was that their necks were exposed, and there was one of the nurses. I was on CNN the other day and was complaining about it, and saying that. What, 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 for example, what would be her viewpoint? Like, would she think that this is a massive pandemic? Um, you know, I didn't. I, I just watched that for a, a little bit. I didn't really get deep into that, everything she was complaining about. But basically, she's saying like we didn't have our necks covered for one. That he was complaining about that. Okay. Okay. So on the one hand. There's an article in The Guardian and some similar articles that say, well, um, you have to get in contact, direct contact with bodily fluids. It's really hard to get it. Well, then how does somebody whose only neck is exposed get it if it's, hard, it's, not, if it's not very contagious? So anyway, you have, you have these two different types of articles. You have um, people who work in, in, the, in, in like the WHO or these other um, uh, agencies that deal with these type of pandemic diseases, and they say – the numbers on this look really bad. It, it, the the uh, reproduction rate is between 1.5 and 2. That means every person that gets infected infects 1.5 to 2 people, right? The only way that's going to go down if it gets below 1, okay? Um, so that's a problem. The current mortality rate is 70%. So 75, 70% of the people who become... That's untreated, though. Untreated, but first of all, we're talking Africa. They don't have the healthcare infrastructure. They don't have the people. They don't have anything to treat people. Yeah, but it, in the U.S., we barely have enough. Z, we did, we ran out of Z map after what two people in like a few days, and then the people who are be treating, they're treating. I think they were being treated with like 
antibodies from like the blood of the one doctor who recovered, right? Right. Well, that guy only has so much blood. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. and like we only have a few. And I think they, I don't know how they said it, it was like two beds or just a handful of beds at most that are actually like capable of handling Ebola people that need to be quarantined and all that kind of stuff. So what happens if we have 50 people come factor 20, even 15 people? So what is your bottom line analysis? Well, oh, let me just form one other number. Okay. The number of infected are doubling every 20 days. So this is, we're talking, we're dealing with an exponential function. And as Kurzweil always points out, which I think is a very astute point, is that human brain is very bad at estimating the power of the exponential. We always think in terms of linear terms. And so if that, if, if it follows, if something doesn't somehow dampen this, this exponential growth, the, est- the current estimate that I've read is that we'll, uh, roughly 1.4 million people will be infected with Ebola in January, by January. That's a really, really bad number. And so even if you're like, well, we have some experimental drugs, how, much, how many of that drugs can we manufacture to treat mil- a million people? Or maybe it gets into February, whatever, or March, and what do you have, two, four million people? You know, I mean, how do you, we don't have exponential um, drug manufacturing and exponential drug distribution. Yeah. You know, and, and that's assuming that you can get a drug that works, much less is approved for use. Even if you said, all right, screw all the proof, this kind of experimental worked on some rats, people are going to die most likely, so we might as well try it. Even if you do that, be able to manufacture and distribute it and all that kind of stuff is, is really uh, going to be a huge challenge. And they were talking a lot about shutting down, you know, some of the people are talking about shutting down the borders or, or at least shutting down international flights to those affected countries. Okay, the problem is, right, okay, so we have three primary countries. Was it Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea, I think right now. But you have a few infections, you have a 20 or so in Nigeria, and you have a few, few individuals, is a smaller number in other countries. But you even had one in Australia, Spain, so there's twi- Germany, There's 20 Turkey, in Nigeria? There's 20 is the last I heard. So but you're, how do we extrapolate from 20 to 1.2 million? 1.4 million. We're talking, we, have, we are pro- approximately, I believe last time I heard 4,000 people. I think it's either 4,000 people have died and 7,000 people are currently infected. Oh, okay. The last yeah, number I read. Right, right. But like I said, it changes every day right. by a substantial amount. So that gets... So what is there 20 of in Liberia? I missed that point. 20 people are infected in Nigeria. Liberia is thousands. Okay. Right. Nigeria is one of the places that is fewer. Okay. So now there's been discussion with, by a lot of politicians, particularly Republicans, but, you know, because, well, Republicans in general are more conservative about all these kinds of things. Um, that's why they're called conservatives. <laughs> yeah. And the, but some Democrats are jumping on, but it's also because it, it's a way of, of positioning against the administration and Obama is taking the advice of Frieden, who's director of the CDC, who's saying, look, if you shut off international flights, our models say that the infection will spread more rapidly. And the reason being is that um, people will go under the radar. They're still going to come over and then we can't track them. And if we can't track them, then we can't find who they're going to contact for, with and we can't quarantine people. We can't treat people. It becomes worse. Now, of course, you're relying that's on just the fact that somebody's model is correct. Well, a lot of scientists have models, and a lot of the models are right. A lot of models are very wrong and somewhere in between, and we don't really know. Whose model? What are the assumptions? You know, okay, so some physicist or some epidemiologist, you know, they created some model. Is it's been peer-reviewed? Has it been checked? I mean, how are you validating it? You know, I, you know based on what? Mm-hmm. So 
But then the question is, okay, so let's say that, um, okay, scenario number one, we don't shut down international flights. Then all of a sudden, you know, people will be coming in. So if like 2000, by the time that uh, first guy got here, Duncan, I think something, his name is Duncan, came here, there were 2,000 people <laughs> infected. Now there's like seven. So if you say, well, for every maybe 5,000 people infected, we'll probably get one to two people come to the U.S., Right, that's just very probably. So, what happens when there's a million people infected? No, I mean, so there's going to be a dramatic increase of people dripping in. You know, maybe they is what they do. What they what they're doing? We're not quarantining people. What they're doing is they are checking their temperature at the hot, at the airports they're flying out of. They don't have a temperature. They get on a plane, and we check if they have a temperature and they get off. But that's about it. Now, first of all. If you're in Liberia or Guinea or any of these other countries and uh, you think you may have Ebola and you say, if I stay here, I'm going to die. There's a really good chance I'm going to die. If I get back, if I can get back to the U.S. and I can go and I can get into a hospital, there's a reasonable chance I might survive, especially if only a handful of people have it and I could probably get CDC and I get thrown, I get sent to Bethesda or to uh, Emory University and they treat me and I'll live. And okay, maybe some... Maybe I get prosecuted for fraud and lying and I go to jail for three years, but I lived. So the only rational thing to do that most people will do, even though it would be viewed as selfish, but people will probably most likely do it, is they'll lie and come across anyway. Now, the other problem is, is that you get people who are getting on the plane, they're checked, they don't have any symptoms, but these flights are, how long is a flight from somewhere in Africa to London and then, or Paris? 20 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a 20-hour window for the symptoms to develop. Maybe you have six or seven days, you didn't have it. Six, seven, eight hours in, you get it, you're worse. And a large number of people on the plane could be affected. You go to the bathroom, now you're feeling ill. You feel like you're vomiting maybe, you're sneezing or whatever, you're coughing. People next to you, you go to the bathroom, gets all over the bathroom because you're coughing, vomiting. People get, you know, you get, I mean, it's, it's like something out of a movie, right? So we're fucked. Well, Okay. So then the, 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 the alternative is like we shut down. We attempt to shut down. We say, okay, well, we're going to cordon off these countries. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people from India and China and other very populous nations that live and work and have businesses in parts of Africa, right? Yeah. Now, if it gets to India, are these very populous nations that still have um, insufficient health infrastructure, they get back there and they infect a lot of people, then it's not like we're just cordoning off parts of Africa, it could be coming from all over Asia and everywhere. And then, of course, you have a situation that we talked about last night, which is like, well, how the hell do you just shut off all international flights? It would be possible, and this sounds like some kind of post-apocalyptic movie, you know, but if it came down to it, you could shut down all we international flights. We would do travel. it, but the GDP would then go down. Yeah, but, you know, much more, people would much rather live through a depression than, Die. you know, the zombie apocalypse or whatever, right? right? But... Well, that's what I was saying yesterday. It's worse... Th- Worse than the zombie apocalypse because it's invisible. Yeah. You see, the problem is, is before you got to that point where, where people are like, we are really thinking about stationing 100,000 troops and, and drones and everything else along the borders of Canada and Mexico and along Florida's coast for people coming up from other parts of the East Coast. Let's say they went that far and they said we we're going to call up National Guard, reserves, whatever. We're shutting everything down. It would have to have gotten so bad at that point that people really freaked out and, and, and just were like, screw the rest of the world, we're saving ourselves kind of thing, right? 
If that happened, that means we probably have a ton of people already sick over here. You're still got people inside the U.S. that are, may likely be getting other people sick. Anyway, I mean, do you think survivalists would go into bunkers and things like that? Well, people will do that anyway. There's, there's. You ever watch Doomsday Preppers? Right, no, I know, but I mean, they're, they're, but they, they're making bunkers. But like now, they would actually have a reason to go into the bunker, which was not a reason they were expecting. They're expecting like nuclear fallout, but instead, it's going to be some virus or something. Yeah. So okay. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always going to be people just like Y2K that are going to, and, and and it's the always question is, some people are always going to jump ship way too early and look like idiots. Yeah. And then there's going to be the one time where it's like they were right. You know, it may be. Now, I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just saying that it doesn't look good now unless something happens. The the, the reproduction rate, um, our track record so far, and, you know, they, they look really bad. Okay. Let's say that we're in that state. We've got people all over the borders and it's we're fucked right mm-hmm. what would you do what would i do like, what would your day look like i don't know if you i don't know what you could do but i mean would you stay in your house would you keep taking the kids to the park would you keep working would you pack up and try and travel to some like remote location in the in the mountains i don't know i don't think so i don't i mean i think i think we'll probably I'd probably go in phases right if it's like you know, a thousand people are sick throughout the country. You'd be like, eh, well, I don't know. But if all of a sudden, like, we have people sick and a lot of the public schools keep happening in the local public schools. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden there's like a bunch in the public schools here. You might be like, I'm taking my kids out for a week or two to see what happens. You know, unless they can dampen it down. Like, I don't want my kids being one of the first. Okay, so there's 50,000 sick in America. What do you do? Yeah, it gets kind of scary. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, even talking about this stuff seriously, it makes you sound like a little alarmist, right? Right. But so really what we have to focus on and is like, how do you, how do you solve it? Right. I like, don't want this do you, to happen. Like you, you spoke that. about Tesla and it became very exponentially successful <laughs> and you're now speaking about Ebola and I just do not want this to be the same as Tesla. Yeah. Well, neither do I. I mean, you stocks in Ebola? <laughs> <laughs> the Ebola ETF. <laughs> it's like the triple short index or something. That would pretty much be the same. That'd be pretty much the same thing. You could buy that. There's like a stock which is like, you know, it makes it goes it goes up in value a point for every point that the Dow or the S and P goes down a point. You know, and there's one that's like a triple, so it goes up three points for every point. Kind of leveraged. Mm -hmm. That would probably be your Ebola play. You pretty much GDP. GDP would fall, or rather, the stock market would fall not before GDP falls, but the the prediction by people that GDP will fall. I feel like that wouldn't make much of a difference because even if it went up really high, no one would be buying. So you just have a really expensive thing that no one's going to buy off you. So you're not going to have any true value there. Um, well, you know, I mean, like I said, it's like um, any anytime. Yeah, right. Anytime you go to like near apocalypse mode, you're not going to collect, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I was reading an article about that recently. I was talking about pricing, um, like why are... Pricing for the apocalypse? Pricing for the apocalypse. We got a show title right there. <laughs> nice. Um, so, I, I there. You know, they talk about these puts, like you know. Um, so when they talk about you know options, calls, and puts, calls, you can buy call options, which allow you to make money. You basically place a bet to to buy a stock if it make money if it goes up in price. You buy a put if and you make money if the the option goes if the stock goes down in value. And there's some argument that say that these um, puts 
are not correctly priced and not priced high enough um, to account for the fact that you can make a lot of money if you have a huge downward swing, right? If things go really down in price, because you, there's more, there's more of a likelihood of a big negative black swan event. And, and, you know, Natib's, uh, Talib, Nassim Taleb talks about this, the fooled by randomness guy, black swan guy. And he talks about how that's a fundamental problem in the pricing of options. And that's how he trades as he buys all these out of the money, put options and just sits and waits for the shit to hit the fan. <laughs> But uh, there's a great answer or, or discussion about this on Quora, um, where, the, where one of the quants said, thing that keeps the price lower is that when stuff really goes south, you may not be able to collect. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's, it's not only the price that thing goes south, but it doesn't go south so far that you don't have a counterparty any longer. So you know, there's a saying, something, something along those lines, if, like, if someone owes you $10,000, they're in trouble – Owe you a million dollars, you're in trouble. Yeah, you know, it's not. I've heard that. Yeah. So, anyway, the the um, a lot of the coverage on TV and stuff has been kind of uh, you know, they they tend to be kind of alarmist because it it's more interesting. It's more like a movie, the drama and keeps ratings and keeps people interested, and that's what they're doing, right? But they also feel to some degree, hey, we're constantly keeping you. Uh, aware, notifying you of what the potential dangers are. You know, the news basically says, dangerous world out there, check back with us in 15 minutes and we'll tell you if you're okay. You know, and it's kind of like that kind of thing. That's why they make tons of money off advertisers during wars. I mean, you know, because people are constantly, <laughs> right, the Gulf War, I mean, everyone was glued to the news. Yeah. Right? Um, so, uh, I, I think, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they're overhyping it, it's their nature to do that, but it may actually not be completely wrong, it may not be misplaced. Now, the other thing that we have to consider is the media um, is to some degree, I mean, they're constantly interviewing public officials and the public officials are telling them, relax, we got this. We have a first rate health system. We're on this. Don't worry about it. And um, so to some degree, they're reflecting that. But, but you also have to understand you also have to factor in, just like you factor in the price of puts that the counterparty might be there, you have to factor in what the motivation is of public officials. Their motivation is to camp down on panic. Things come, yeah. We got this. Not only did that create all kind of social and economic problems, but also makes them look incompetent and is the kind of thing that gets them thrown out of office or thrown out of their position at the CDC or wherever else, right? Just like the so strain. Have you seen the strain? I have not seen the strain. Is it? We recommend it. Oh, it's good? really good. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's it. I, I'm not giving very much away when I say that because this is within the first ten minutes. Is is anyone here? You know, strain watchers. Good. Is it a thumbs up? Yeah, I'd say so. So, it's very creepy. Very creepy. Yeah, I think I'm gonna give it a shot. You know, I just watched Contagion. Like, don't let Colby oversee the strain. Like, there, there, no, there's a, so about this creepy guy who is like gonna would give you nightmares. Okay. No doubt about okay, it. Okay, yeah. so no. So no strain for him, but I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a Walking Dead fan, so it sounds yeah, like right. it. I look right, right at my, I look like a cross between Fringe and Walking Dead, it's, which is like right up my alley. Yeah, it's scarier than, in the, it just in the, it, the way that the, the bad guys presented is scarier than Walking Dead, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, we're kind of living <coughs> in, in, I mean, this is kind of a, a, of a real-time 
bad movie. It's like Contagion. And it's like, we don't know. It's still early off. That's like 7,000 people. It's still part of like this remote areas or some, it seems like semi, seemingly remote areas in the third world and stuff. But we're going to know in a few months whether this thing, or even maybe sooner than that, whether, you know, the, the people in, at the WHO and some of these scientists that come over and say, you know, predicting this exponential growth rate were wrong or not. So basically we're relying, you know, the, the big fear is, this, is, this, is, the, is the doubling every 20 days, is that really a reasonable model of what's happening? I mean, maybe that's wrong. What we have to do is kind of hope that's sort of wrong and we have to kind of hope that the U.S. and the U.N. and whoever else is putting resources in this actually can we can get our shit together. We can overcome our bureaucratic incompetence and uh, actually get this thing solved before millions of people die in Africa and then everywhere else in the world. Yeah. That's kind of a big deal. I mean, I think we should. That's one reason why I talk about it. Yeah. No. It's, I mean, it's, this is like you know, it could be those things like, oh, remember that story a couple of years ago about Ebola? But it could end up being like this huge thing, and like we didn't even talk about it. It's like, yeah. Well, I think that's the Ebola segment. Okay. <laughs> um, I also think you guys, if you have like any questions come to mind over the next 10, 20 minutes, I think that'd be cool to, to just for us to answer a couple of questions. You know, one thing I wanted to do at dinner last night, but we never got around to, and if you guys can interject any time, but if you have any questions for us that we, something we never answered or we never really talked about on the show or whatever, or you always wanted to know, just ask us. That would be kind of cool. I mean, there are probably things where, like, there's some thread that we just never, you know. Never. Do you ever do the show in your underpants? I always do it in my underpants. It, I always have. I always wear pants, yeah. Uh, me, me too, yeah. <laughs> but I just have trousers on top of the underpants. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's like it's like you watch a TV show Lost, and there's, like, these... Do you, do you watch Lost? So they have very strange tangents that never went anywhere. Yeah, they just like, well, just, whatever happened yeah, to that guy? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure this thing going to show up and thought about like, I don't, I never heard. But I wonder if, if the writers thought, I'm just going to, we're going to do that to fuck with the audience. Or, or if they thought, we're going to do it and see, see what the ratings are like. And then we'll, we'll take it in that direction if people seem to like it. I'll bet you what they did is they had some good ideas. They thought they were building towards some things. And then they realized that it wasn't quite going where they wanted it to go. And they said, you know what? I think we need to take it over here because these characters will have more to do and da da da. And this other thing that we were kind of doing was interesting. And they're like, they couldn't really figure out a way how to close that off and uh, close that thread without screwing up and creating a really awkward, you know, couple episodes. So they just kind of quietly ignored it and then it just went away. And it only was like the super fans who are on the forums who are like, hey man, what the hell? Like, you know, right? Uh, th- this is like a tangential, but I got this great terminal app for my for Mac, which basically mimics that lost. You know that computer that he uses? It's the red button. <laughs> it's awesome. So you have to hit it. No, is no. This like your Pomodoro. No, you don't have to hit. You like, don't have to hit the red button, but it's it, it, it the terminal's that. So it it turns your into like a green CRT screen. So you know when you're using SSH or whatever, you know, like it's just like this old retro vintage uh, oh. terminal. I have to. I can't remember the name of it, but I'll we'll put it in the show notes. You know, it'd be cool. You know how people? Some people do the Pomodoro technique which is right. like they work for 40 minutes or 45 minutes and they get like a 10 minute break does anyone do the pomodoro thing yeah what would you use i just called tomato uh there's a chrome extension called tomato actually mm-hmm. you give you 25 minutes uh work time and you take five minutes break and you give you alarm 25 and 5 25 and 5 yeah what, what was the timing on the uh, uh on the lost computer 
You remember? Oh. You hit the button every so often. You remember that? Uh, it, was, it was a weird time. It was like some random time. Does anybody know what it was? It was like every 40 minutes or 50. It was like short enough. I feel like 48 or something. Some weird. So enough. like that, you could make a Pomodoro yeah. app. That just Actually, like this that. is kind of an interesting segue to my new, uh, my new idea for my new cardio uh, approach. Okay. Hold on. Before you get cardio, <laughs> I just want to say one thing. <laughs> one thing. If you had an app like that and you didn't hit the number, like something really bad has to happen. Right. Oh. Like it has to hold your, your documents hostage or something. What, it's like, like, it has to like screw up it, your entire rest of your day. It's, no. How about plugging it into your Wells Fargo API? It's like it's just going to kill like a yeah. thousand bucks. Yeah, like you'll you just, lose, you lose a thousand. <laughs> that would actually probably be better. So what? So you, you have to put in so much money. It's like a bank account. Hold the money. We'll go through the PayPal you, API. You That's like, back, this is a great idea. So you get back $100 <laughs> every time you hit the button. It's like. And you, if you don't, you lose that $100. That's so good. It's like a dead man switch. Right. So, right. So, you, you, so whatever. So you work eight hours a day. So it's 40 hours a week. So we have 40 installments. $100. You put $4,000 at the beginning every month and you get, well, you get all four, four th- you get all 4,000, you know, so 40, so $100 times, yes, yeah, so four, four, it'd be $4,000, $4, right? $100. So you get $100 every time. If you miss a couple, you'll lose 200 bucks. Even better, build the app for employers. So you don't have to end up paying your staff the full wage. You, you have one shit <laughs> company, man. Everybody's like, what do you want to do? Hit my thing. I got to Come on. I did it for you. <laughs> you get people like, he's like, you know, he's like, he had to go home or whatever. And he's like, dude, you got to hit my thing every, even if he's like running. Well, you have one dude, he's like the nice guy. He's running around everyone's computer. And he's like, what's that guy doing? He's like hitting everyone's dead man's switch. And then you'd have some bootstrappers who make like separate software that like run in the background that like automatically automatically hit the switch you're right <laughs> then it'd be like a, a arms race right yeah okay so you have the stair stepper okay so you as as you all know um i've been doing 20 minutes a week wait this waits super slow so what i've been looking for is and that's that's great for me like 20 minutes i can handle that um but what i've been looking for is a cardio option and i really don't like the idea of the the cardio options that there are such as running you know, moving, <laughs> moving, <laughs> going to the gym. <laughs> but I, I did find through uh, diligent research uh, on as seen in TV shows, um, a great stepper, which is basically a high intensity stepper. And the idea is, this is actually my idea. I've, I'm throwing this part in. They say that you should do basically four minutes of high intensity a day. Right, so they'll and you do in one in one. It, well, it, you, one so time. you do what you do one you do one minute, and they split that up depending on how fit you are. So you do one minute. So a one minute section, which they call a burst, when you're just beginning, you do fifteen seconds on, fifteen seconds off, fifteen seconds on, fifteen seconds off, fifteen seconds on to make one minute. Okay, then you rest for like a couple of minutes, then you do that again four times. You do that a day. So that's what they sell. But what I but what I'm saying is, I think that you should do it one minute per hour. Because then that's giving you that burst and it's going to raise your metabolism. This is my theory and I'm going to try it for at least a couple of weeks. So I'm just going to do one minute burst training every hour. And I've got the stepper, which is right next to my desk. So I do not need to go out of the house to do my cardio quote. Well, what I'm amazed is that you're doing anything above and beyond the minimum effective dose. Right. right? Oh, I mean, you do, tw- you do what, 12 minutes of workout with your lift? I do 20 minutes a week, yeah. But that's not the minimum dose. Like, if, if it was a minimum dose, I'd be losing weight. So I'm, I'm trying to find the effective minimum dose to lose weight. Right. right? Okay. What I, what I mean is there's, 
the, the strength training people you go to suggest this is the minimum you have to do and that's what you do. Right. You don't do anything in excess of this. So there, I do there's a step where people saying four minutes, you're actually going to do twice what they I'm say. I'm going to do a little bit more, yeah. Why are you doing more? Uh, because it seems like it's not much, but, it's, 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 it, but it seems like, I guess I feel like if I did put that extra minute, because it's only an extra minute a day. If I do it five times a day, that's only one extra minute. Okay, so eight, just so, four extra So minutes. basically 25 minutes a week for a five-day week. Well, think? hey, I mean, you know, I plot. Look, I, I've been telling you all along. Oh no, you've been hard on me. You've been hard on me. Like, the, so, but this time you're going to be like, I'm just calling bullshit. I'm not like <laughs> trying to. I just don't want you to fool yourself. All right. You know, I mean, we'll see what happens. I'm like, this is probably the craziest experiment, but well, we'll see. As I've always, as I've been saying all along, I think that just having you need a win. You need to book a win. Right. That's what you need. I think the key to making a big change is, is, having, is having an early win, having an early couple wins. And I think whether it's changing a lifestyle or like a business, you get a couple wins. You, you, you know, something works and it gives you some idea. Of, it, it proves to you, it shows you a path to success. Right, right. Right? And so psychologically, like, okay, I do X and Y happens. Like, I did it. I just didn't read it in a magazine or see someone or heard someone say, like, I did it. I can do it. I, lost, I did this. I lost five pounds. Hell, I can do this again and lose another five pounds. I, I should mention that if this doesn't work, I'm going to try for two weeks. Then I'm going to, like, up the time and then I will try. The machine will also do steady state cardio. So, you know, like, begrudgingly, if this doesn't work in a month, then I will start doing, you know, fucking 25 minutes a day or whatever bullshit. I yeah, well, hey, I mean, look. I'll do it. I think it's fine to find a minimum <laughs> effective dose. Right. But you start really low and work your way up. I mean, as opposed to going and trying. So I kind of did the opposite, right? I, like, <laughs> I like did everything. I threw the kitchen sink at losing weight and everything. I know. As you said in the last show, like, an hour a day, six days a week. Like, God. Well, between 40 minutes and an hour. Yeah, that's... And then, you know, lifting, whatever. So it was a lot of stuff. It's a lot of life so to give up. I don't really know what the minimal effective dose is. I could be way in excess. I yeah. could be just wasting a lot of time. Uh, but I don't think that's I don't think that's really the case. I, I think that... I've noticed that when I step off the gas even just a little bit, you know, whether in terms of whether it's diet or anything, I have, I have less gains. So, I don't know. But... Anyway. If you get some success... Great. But one thing I want to talk about, too, in just general, you talked a little bit about this last week. Um, you said, what is it that allowed Phil to lose so much weight? Yeah, the cognitive switch in your mind. Allowed you to change. Yeah. And I think it was Joe who wrote, was it somebody wrote, a Richard, maybe Richard, there's another Richard who isn't here, said that because Phil wasn't married yeah i i agree i really agreed with that i thought that in my, he was single yeah. he's like i'm on the hunt he's like, on i'm the gonna hunt. get married yeah. at some point right which is like right and, and then i you know i actually found an article about that i said well you know my response was yeah right when we get married you tend we all tend to get a little fat and happy yeah you don't have you don't need to be hungry anymore yeah she's like my wife isn't going anywhere yeah <laughs> i don't <laughs> think yeah <laughs> you know and um and vice versa and uh, both of you get a little frustrated with that. You're both like, mm, you know. Which is why I was kind of wondering in my own mind, like, why you got so obsessed about this. Like, what reason are you doing it for? Because it's not for the hunt, is it? You. No, no. no. Yeah. So, so Sandy didn't really. I mean, look, I wasn't that overweight. It wasn't right. like I was walking around. I was, you know, but um, uh, let's see. So what would I say? I, I guess it would probably have to be ego. Right. And just like. Who, how I picture myself and who I was, and then 
maybe realizing that I wasn't like looking at, I was really what, what turned it over, what turned it was uh, looking at a picture of myself from 1999 at our rehearsal dinner wedding, which I've talked about yeah. and going, you know, it was funny. It was like my daughter, my middle daughter would tease me every once in a while and be like, daddy, why are you a little bit fat? Hey, <laughs> belly, you know, hey, fat, you know, and you know, and she's just cute. She's just being cute. And that's what little kids do. And you know, she was right, you know, and I was like, yeah, I used to be, you know, I think we're like watching Captain America or something. I used to look a little bit like that. I used to be really, really fit. And, uh, and they're like, no, you're daddy, you're fat. You know, you're, and I was like, <laughs> and then I saw a picture of myself and, you know, I'm not saying I look quite like Captain America, but I was the fit guy. Right. You know, and, uh, and I, and I just kind of was just unhappy realizing that I wasn't that guy anymore. And Phil was not the fit guy. Phil was my slightly chubby. I wouldn't say he was chubby when we were younger. He was more just like kind of what I call like a soft body. Right. You know, he was just kind of soft. He was a theater guy, a comedian, you know, not real, not an athlete at all. He would work out with us a little bit when we started our first company and he'd come and work out, but it was just kind of like he wasn't very strong and he wasn't that serious. Yeah. And, and so when he lost all this weight and started getting really strong, I was like, the tables have flipped and like, this is like, whoa, like I can't. I can't allow that to happen, you know, but it's worked out, you know, my own ego for me, it was just ego, you know, and then of course, as we talked about, it's progressed when I said, oh, I'm going to, you know, this operation superhero, I'm going to try and dunk and all these kinds of things and, you know, expand it. But I would have to say for me, it was just, it was just pure ego. And, um, you know, I think we all have, I don't think it always has to be there's one motivating thing for people. Like some people, it's a near-death experience. You're going to your doctor. Your doctor says, you're going to die. Right. You're young. You're going to have, you know, whatever. You're going to lose a loose. You're, you're going to use a loose of, lose the use of your legs or your, your kidney failure. You're going to have this or that. And so then some people, that. And sometimes it's their spouse. I mean, there's all kinds of things. You know, uh, for Phil, I think a part of it, and I don't know if all of it, but a Probably big motivator was, you know, hey, he wants to get married someday. He wants to find a girl. He's 40. He needs to find a girl. He needs to make his life happen. Yeah. You know, and I think Phil, you know, he had pretty high standards. You know, he wanted an attractive, educated, sophisticated woman, you know, whatever. Right. He wanted a blue ribbon girl. Right. Right. I'm like, well, guess what? That girl can pick from a lot of guys. Mm -hmm. She's going to have her pick. And if you want have a girl like that you better be the kind of guy that gets a girl like that you either need to have a billion or not be a chubby 40 year old yeah i mean you know it's like it's like yeah like if if you if you so far overachieve in certain individual categories it can make up for certain things but you know so you you might be like you know i want to i want a girl who's smart and educated and cool and really hot but if she's like super hot <laughs> you may be like well she's not as educated whatever you know <laughs> right i mean you're just gonna give like dude she is so hot like i can't think straight you know i mean and likewise i mean you know i think it's just it's a sum of all these individual categories and it, of course it sums it up into like some amorphous number that you want to be with this person but you know and i know it's kind of uh when you, when you boil it down to those numbers, it's, 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 it seems almost kind of ugly to say that. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, you know, you'll see people and, you know, some of the young people and you'll they'll say, oh, I want a girl like this or I want a guy like this. I'm like, are you like that? Right. Right. 
Like, are you, you, you know, this international man of mystery? But like, what? you don't really want like for like matching up from a gene perspective. Because then it's just too, it, like, it, it works well to mix the genes of, like, ugly and good-looking people, don't you think? I don't. <laughs> but it is true like that... It's, it's, more, it's, more, it's a more varied, uh, varied experience for the gene. Well, I think... I think uh, <laughs> okay, I'll take it back. <laughs> right, well, it's a couple of things. Well, definitely, there are definitely cases where you have tra- two attractive people and they do not have attractive babies. Oh, that happens. And you can have two unattractive people and they have a very attractive people. You would see a lot of, like, Hollywood movie stars and models, stuff, and their parents are not particularly attractive at all. And vice versa, you'll see... And, and their kids are like... Stunning. And it's like, how did those they, ugly bastards have that? Kid? And vice versa. Yeah. You'll see like, you know, you know, I mean, you'll have exceptions where beautiful people have beautiful kids, but not always. And there's probably a correlation, like 0.7 correlation. I believe there's a question from the audience. Do you not know there's been some uh, distance between, you know, now and the Plagio sale? Oh, yeah. Do you still have any regrets that you sold? That's the first question, first part. And second, again, considering the distance from that event, lessons learned. I mean, what could have you done differently? Good questions. Yeah, so uh, just in case the mic didn't pick it up, um, the question was, do I have any re- regrets about selling Plugier? Um, now, because there's been some time passed between now and then. Um, the answer is, well, it, it's funny. I'm doing exactly the same amount of work for Plugio after selling it. That's the kind of irony. So I, I sold it for 90000 and I guess I sold it, it's, it's around three months that the deal was done. The, the purchaser is very wealthy and I feel like um, it's just a blip on their, like it's not even, it's a blip outside of their radar. Um, so they're not really doing support. So I kind of still have, you know, obviously the passwords to the support inboxes and I see those tickets come in and, you know, a customer, you know, old customers like who I know. Like maybe they're upset about something, and not. so I'll just I'm just doing the support basically. <laughs> so I'm still doing the so same. You just do it because you feel. I, bad you do, yeah. I'm just, and so I'm just kind of still doing the same amount of work, and it's like, what the hell? Um, no, 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 not at all. I know. <laughs> I know. You know, what it reminds me of is my kid. My girls will like have some snack that has some wrap or something, and they'll leave it out. And I really need to tell them, you need to throw that away. Not just leave your right. snack, your wrappers on the floor. But a lot of times, I'll just pick up and throw it away because I hate seeing garbage or dirty dishes or glasses around. Mm-hmm. And just because I'm just like, ugh, just like I'm just going to do it because it's going to be more effort to, to get them. Yeah. But that's the wrong thing to do. Which Sandy's told me a lot of times. You need they are responsible that you need to make them. Well, do I, that. the problem is, is I've tried taking that approach. There's been enough time where I've tried a few different things. So. I've tried saying, no, I'm just going to leave it because they're, they're going to do it. And then, I, and then I'm like, a month goes by, I'm, I'm going to click the button. Okay, what, what's in there? Did they do anything? Because they said they were going to... I click it and there's like 30 requests. I'm like, oh my God. Okay, so then I go through the 30 because I just can't bear to see them there. And then rather than do that, now I'll look at it every day. So I only have to deal with one thing a day kind of thing, you know? So that's <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, it's... um. I remember reading an article about this. It was some guy, I think it was an article written from like early 1900s. And it was like written from the perspective of like, why not to be a good guy? The guy who always does favors for everyone, who's always helping everybody out. Because in the end of the day, they end up not getting any respect from the people. And they end up just spending their entire time doing stuff for other people. Do you remember that article? 
it got some. It was on the news and got kind of a big. It was like I don't know, the Atlantic or something like that. But he he was saying how he just stopped doing that, but, doing but favors people. That must that. kind of uh, ring true for you in a way because you are always helping a lot of people. They're sending you in emails, asking you questions. Like, how do you feel about that from your own perspective? Um. So yeah, I do. It's funny. I was just telling Sandy that I usually. It's really weird to be like in the advice giving position where people are asking you for for advice on life and career and work and negotiating and this or that and um and so one is like why are you asking me? So part of well, because of this show, that show or yeah, I guess or or whatever. I mean, but you know, other people who are even outside the show, right? Yeah, you know, uh, whatever. So yeah, um, part of me. You know, I like people, you know, I like, I like, I like helping people, you know, I, I get something out of it. I guess there's a limit to what I'll do. Right. I'll have a, you know, I'll reply to an email. I'll have a 20 minute conversation with people um, and tell them what I think. Cause I feel like I can at least do that. I feel like there's a certain amount of just being a, uh, a good person that you should be able to do that. I also think that, you know, Anybody who's achieved any level of success, and I would say the level of success that I've achieved is still very, very modest at this point, but it's still, I have achieved a certain amount. And I think to not accept that that has, there's a certain amount of just good fortune in that. And it, it requires a little bit of, of repayment to the world, right? Like I can't say, well, it was all me and I earned everything and, you know, whatever. It's like, well, you know, the stars aligned in certain ways and certain things, certain things worked out for me. Mm -hmm. Obviously I was born to a certain family and I had a certain socioeconomic situation and this and that, and, you know, and I had, you know, certain obstacles and tough things in my life and family, just like everybody. But, you know, sum it all up, I've been very fortunate mm -hmm. and, um, and things are working out pretty well for me. So I guess there's a part of me that feels like, you know, you need to kind of like help people if you can leave the world a better place, make the world a better place if you can. I mean, you know, as kids and stuff, we always talk about, I want to make the world a better place. I want to do it. It's like, well, what the hell are you doing? Right. You know, can you at least help the people around you? Yeah. I mean, at least do what you can. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I, I mean, I think about that sometimes. Um, but I think probably, I, I get a very positive feeling um, when I know I've helped somebody. You know, and, and a lot of times, you know, I'll get like a thank you. Hey, man, that was really good advice. Or I took your advice and that really worked out. I mean, I feel good. Yeah. I mean, so, so there's a kickback. There was a kickback. Yeah. I, you know, I get, I, you know, and I go and I tell Sandy and I beat my chest. Like I told this guy and he did this and it was great. And, <laughs> you know, like one, of course, you know, there's, there's, I mean, I've been lucky in that. I feel like there's been a lot of those recently where people come back and say, hey, I took your advice and this worked out. And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But we talked about the Ben Reyes one. It's a big joke about how, you know, the whole Tesla and I told him not to sell and he invested. I'm like, I just love that. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, you know, yay for Ben. I'm glad it worked out for him. But I got to vicariously enjoy that experience. Right. I personally felt good. So, you know, one thing is funny. I told this one guy, he, he, he emailed me and we ended up having a long conversation. And he was talking about how he, is, he had a company that um, had uh, kind of stalled out. It was doing okay, but he really needed it to grow. I think it's called, it called Convertify. And um, I said, you know, we started talking about it. And I said, listen, here's the things that I would want to do. I think you need, to, I'm going to, 
turn you over to talk to my buddy Peter Kim or Mighty Hive. I think he might give you advice on how to how to scale something that's somewhat of a service oriented business, you know, and all these things. And we had a long conversation, and I said, I said, listen, you know, um, you know, and I I, I told him I said, you ne- just ask for advice. Don't take up too much of his time. Um, but by doing that and taking advice, you follow up later and say, Hey, I did this or that, which you suggested. And this is what happened mm-hmm. because one, I think if we, when you ask them advice, you, you kind of owe them a follow-up. I think it's polite to say what happened, right? You came to me, you asked my advice yet. I don't ask for a lot, but just like, Hey, what happened? Give me a one sentence email. Nothing like, Oh, this happened. It was great or whatever. I mean, just, you know, something, I think that's like, sort of like a, 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 the least amount of reciprocity. I said, but also the side effect is you're going to get him to buy into your story. He's going to want to know. I gave you advice. You took it. It worked. I feel some ownership in what, your future success. Mm-hmm. So that I said, so, you know, Peter or whoever you ask advice from, will then want to help you more because you made them part of your story that they're kind of part of this live action, you know, story that, you know, whatever. So, um, and I said, and so, and so you just did that to me. I said, I'm kind of, te- I'm, te- I'm kind of explaining, you know, exactly what I'm telling you to do. So now I am going to want to know what happened to you. Yeah. So, and so I'm kind of pulling myself into it by telling you to do this. So I expect because he's, he's thinking, he's like, oh, and I, and I, you know, we went off for like an hour and I told him all these different things that I thought would help him both in terms of like how to interact with investors and what to do with this and whatever. And the end of the day, I'm like, you know, so I just gave you the formula to work me because <laughs> it works on me, even though I know it, it worked on me. Hmm. But, you know, um, but at the end of the day, it's like, I felt good about it. I liked helping him for however much I did. And um, yeah, I mean, you just... Yeah, well, so just to finish up with the plug ear question. Oh. <laughs> so that's our show in a nutshell. That's it, right? In a nutshell, right? Like, you ask me a simple question, I go on for a half hour. That's something cool. Do you think you're shooting yourself in the foot, though, by answering these support questions unbeknownst to the owner? The owner's probably thinking, hey, great. No, well, I, I, I kind of, I like, what, so what's happened is they've tried to put it, to put two low-level support people in to do to do it and it didn't work out with either of them so now uh, someone higher up in the organization is going to do it and i'm talking to them on a daily basis we're just two days into that and there's been no tickets so far but he has been calling me every day so we'll see so it, it should be good but um i think the main the main point of the question was you know do i regret or was i ha- happy about selling plug um i'm super happy about selling plug because i was done like there was no more there was nowhere I could take it in that market. Like it, it, it was just diminishing returns. I always think of like the getting to the speed of light uh, with like you know you use a nuclear bomb to like you get you yeah they have to use more and more energy more and more energy to get yeah so it kind of felt like that um, and I was just kind of done with it. I wasn't really like also I just don't really like the vibe of Twitter anymore. You know the kind of concept of being part of that business or market. Why? Uh, it just it's just become more spammy. Even though I didn't mean my product to be part of that, it just is that, and that's kind of annoying. You know, I, w- I want to be part of something that's more more interesting. You know, just to me. 
Um, so it, I was just really glad to sell it. It's great to say that you know you've had an exit. Like Jason can't say that. Jason hasn't had an exit. Why are you always in competition? With you? <laughs> I want to know that. That's a one-sided competition. No, it is always... a one. It is a one-sided competition. You're hurting, you're hurting his ego. Yeah, it is a one-sided oh, I'm competition. I'm just like, why? He's like, oh, every time I do something, he's like, well, I get it. I'm like, why? I didn't realize this is a race. What are we doing? Well, I'm not in competition with you about lifting weights. I can tell you that. No, but you, you definitely like. <laughs> I'll do something or something, and you feel like you need to compete somehow. Yeah. Like you, you which is really interesting because you accuse me of being very competitive. Right. But I feel like you're more competitive. Really? About about what? Well, you're competitive with me for some reason. Like, I'll do something and you'll feel like, like, I increase my rate and like, well, Jason charges this, is I going to charge this much, you know? Or well, No, but that, that's general psychology. I mean, we even discussed that on the show. Like, when you find out your friends are earning more than you, it pisses you off. Like, everyone feels that way. But so that's of- general psychology. So now, Are you competitive with other people or is that I just? I'm probably, probably. Oh, yeah? I'm probably competitive with everyone in this room. You get really, you get kind of. <laughs> Somehow, I don't think Justin's more competitive than you, Jason. I don't know. I, I, no, I, I may I, not see it. Yeah. No, I, I guess. Huh. Well, so what? What else was I competitive about? So this is ther- now. This is the therapy texting. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I can't remember last one. I, I just like. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's healthy. I mean, I think it's healthy. I mean, l- l- like, I'll tell you something. It bugs me your Tesla situation. That's not your um, Uber situation. You know, it, it just bugs me. Like you've you've got the bird in the hand, all that money's coming to you. It's like, why didn't why don't I have that? You know, like I want I want to have something. I want to have that. Right. So then we have conversations like this, variations like that. You'll yeah. compare, right? Right. Right. Yeah, because it's like it, 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 the existence proof is there, and it's like, wait, my my buddy's doing this thing that I really want to do, and I I don't have it. You know, so that, I think that's what it's, yeah. it's more about. You know, just like yeah. the, you don't have it yet yeah. doesn't mean you won't. Yeah. No, I know. I know. Yeah. So but so. Okay. So probably that's what it is. It's just, oh, question from Jeff. So we uh, talked about earlier, Jason, how, you know, all the million projects that you're working on still. I'm curious, if you had to pick one that you had to focus on 100% of your time, <laughs> Aerodolos, which, which would you choose? Aside from Uber? Yeah, aside from And does this have to be the money-making project? So if I could only do two things in my life, I would uh, I would do Uber and I would teach the math class for the kids. That's what I would do. I uh, the I have the madness as Justin says about teaching this math class. I think about it all the time. I and, and it's it's been going on since through last year. It sounds like just like a, you know sometimes you get like really enthusiastic about something for like a few weeks or a couple months and then it kind of starts to fade a little bit. I mean, you still like it, but it's not, I, I mean, this is not abating. I mean, it's like I, I, it's every week it's a new challenge. Like, okay, can I get them to here? Can I give it? Cause I see a long road ahead, but every time we reach a new milestone, I get super, super excited. And I, I, I really, you know, it's funny. I've, um, I've created I have a real connection with all the kids. You know, they're like my kids. In a way, I, this is my team, and so, um, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll get into this a little bit later. But uh, you know, I, I think um, there's a few ways I want to go with this, but I, I'll, I'll answer his question more <laughs> <laughs> succinctly because I have a bad habit of not doing that. Um, yeah, I have a I have a passion for that, and I think I've always had. There's always a part of me that want that's wanted to teach. Not teach in sort of a traditional, 
framework. Like I go in and I take a salary and I'm a teacher and I do that. You know, I, that always seemed to me that there was a lot of reasons that would be too constraining or too limited that would frustrate, it, frustrate me. But I've always really enjoyed the few instances where I had opportunity to kind of like teach somebody, even if it was like a few hours. Like when I, my one of my favorite stories is when I taught my younger brother, you know, the essence of calculus in two and a half hours. I mean, we like blew through everything where he was doing problems and stuff. And I was like, that was so cool. It was like, how is like, you know, we was, I think as developers and in entrepreneurs in different ways, we always want to like become, have a more efficient path through something. I want to write software that's more efficient, that's more leveraged, that solves a problem. I want to create a company that's more efficient, that does things better. I want to lose weight in a more efficient way. So, we, you know, I'm kind of hardwired to want to do things better, more efficiently. And I feel like and I've, learning has always been something that I've always been somewhat of an autodidact, uh, maybe not nearly as good a one as I'd like to have that I've liked to, or as aspired to be. And I've always like, why, what makes it tough? How would I make it better? How can I make it more fun? How can I make it so I don't forget? How can I teach these other people? How can I make it so that they love it? They learn it more. They don't forget it. It's more, you know, all these kinds of things. So I think about all the time. And so I finally sort of, I, I created this situation where I, I used coaching the fourth grade math team as a Trojan horse to create this sort of advanced enriched math class that now, is a thing which can probably go on for years and I got the school behind me and everything. So I don't know. I mean, and it's, it's weird because it's like, has nothing to do with making money. has nothing to do with like it's intrinsic, affecting like I'm going to go and I'm going to change the world and it's going to be this massively leveraged thing. Because one of the problems that I think one of the trade-offs that I think about, and I think probably a lot of you guys probably think about is when you do something, I can do this for myself or one person, or I can do this and have a hundred people do it. Like you always want to write software. Like, Oh, why am I gonna do this once? Why am I gonna have a thousand people? And, but a lot of times when you do stuff that affects a lot of people, it, um, it, so let's say you, you create a little piece of software like Plugio or maybe something that's even 10 times the size of Plugio or a hundred times. It's really only making their life just a tiny, tiny bit better. Right. Um, and if you, if you say, well, I was a poor part of Uber, and Uber has affected the lives of tons of people. But even still, Uber has just marginally improved people's lives. Mm. People love it. And some people, it, it makes their life more efficient. But it really hasn't changed anyone's tra- trajectory of anyone's lives. I mean, there are a lot of people who are, might be driving UberX. And it's like, hey, this is great because I'm acting. And it allows me to go on auditions and this or whatever. Yeah, but it's, it's helped like, those people. But, but, but less than the tra- more than the travelers. But when you teach or you do something like teaching or you're a doctor or a physical therapist or something and you're like i can literally transform this kid or person's life it's pretty powerful Mm. you know and and i can see a couple instances with what i'm doing i can see some of these kids like i could you know and maybe that's hubris maybe i'm overstating it but i feel like i can fundamentally transform their lives in a very very positive way and that's kind of intoxicating Mm. you know that's like a substitution of um uh, uh, material wealth for some, I guess, religious people call it like a spiritual wealth. You're getting a lot of uh, 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 feedback from the kids. It makes you feel like a better person rather than just money. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, um, I think I, I think I, I'm motivated. I think what's been motivating initially is more selfish reasons that I just enjoy the process. I'm going to make these kids do this advanced math. You know, it's like, I'm enjoying this. You're going to enjoy it too, or whatever. I don't know. I mean, uh, I think it's, that's kind of how it starts. 
you know, and it's like, I have my son Colby is part of the class and I want him to be really good at math because I know there's a very good chance he's going to want to be an engineer or physics or whatever. And I like, so I'm like, okay, I want to teach you to be really good at this stuff. Like I know how the game is played. I know how to give you, get you five steps ahead of everybody else. And I don't want to teach you by yourself at home because I don't think that's going to work out nearly as well. So hold on, just so, um, so by doing it with a group of kids, I can circumvent that. It's not like I make, all right, you know, Kobe, you're not doing any extra work. You're, you know, you're just a big group of kids and we're all doing this. And, you know, it just happens that I'm the teacher, I'm the coach. So that's where it came from sort of selfish. I enjoy teaching and I want to do this for, for, for Colby. But the side effect is like, wow, this is fulfilling. You know, like it, it is that sort of, I mean, a spiritual or psychological, psychologically fulfilling thing. You know, kids are a little bit exhausting, but it's only an hour. It's not that bad. But I always feel like energized about after the class and then and excited and then when i take back and reflect like now and i say well i think i can transform these kids lives and this stuff it makes me feel really good but i don't spend too much time thinking about that that's just something like every once in a while a lot of times you told me you felt bad about spending time doing stuff because you could be spending that time you know earning more money for the family or whatever now that you're in the position that you're in with uber where you're kind of set like you're gonna get a payday right yeah. mm-hmm. do you think that that enables you to be part of something like this kids thing without having that stress yeah no i i think um i think that if this wasn't this i didn't have the uber payday coming as you say i probably would be a little less inclined to want to spend as much time on it you mm-hmm. know i would probably think that maybe slightly irresponsible um but now I'm getting a situation where it's like any time that I spend just trying to make a l- extra money may not really move the needle. Sort of like diminishing, like Gabriel Weinberg was talking about with marketing. Like, you know, there was a phase where after we'd got a million users, there was no point doing certain kind of marketing anymore. Yeah, it just you doesn't, know, move, just the doesn't move the needle. So, but I'm in this interesting situation that until Uber goes public and after the six month lockup, I, I mean, I'm like everybody else, right? Like, you know, we have the, you know, Sandy's looking at the bank account like, I hope that check comes in. We got to pay bills. You know, I mean, we're still, we have three kids in a loft and, you know, three kids. In, I mean, it's like, you know, with everybody else. I mean, we don't have any extra cash, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, I invested in a startup, so it makes me seem like I'm this player. But I'm really not. I just took our uh, kids' college savings and invested it. <laughs> Which, a normal circumstances, would be incredibly irresponsible, but it's only because of Uber that I'm like, well, we don't really need that money for that, and I feel like this is an opportunity. The, the, well, the Tesla shares that went up, yeah. Yeah, well, okay, so we had two. We had, we had, we had two investments. We had two fundamental investments. One was retirement, and one was um, kids' education fund. And the, the retirement fund was Tesla, mostly Tesla stuff. But we ended up not selling. I, I, we the amount that we made from Tesla, we took it from, from the kids, the retirement account, yeah. because we'd rather have the money in Tesla, right, than in where it was. Which turned out to be good because when I invested the money, Tesla was like at one ninety eight, so it turned out to be positive. So it's still essentially the same thing. We could, instead of making moving the money twice and having to pay fees and stuff, that's what he did. But you know, so it's anyway. It's just very weird being in the situation that I don't know how long it's going to Uber goes public. Is it going to go public next year? Is it going to put money in three years? And you know, some people might say, "Well, 
you know, it's, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, it, I mean, yeah, I look, I'm an incredible, I am really lucky. Anybody who's working at Uber, just like anyone working at Twitter and Facebook, they got lucky. They got lucky. You know, there are a lot of very, very smart, hardworking, creative people doing anything like that kind of pay out. You know, it's just, you kind of got lucky. And, um, but it's still going to be years and my kids are growing up and having one in one year. They need room, stuff now. Uh, yeah, it kind of sucks. Like, you know, it's like, it really would suck. Like you make money and the kids are on college. So They're you like, say oh. you have the kids all in one room. Like, did, did describe that to us. Like, what's that? So we have a two bed, our apartment is a two bedrooms with a loft. Yeah. The loft is open. It's up above the living room area. And so we have a bunk bed. One, and my oldest, Colby's in the top, and then Izzy's in the bottom. And then we have like this little bed pull out. There's little wheels that pull up from the bottom, and that's where Airly sleeps. My youngest, who's six. You know, I mean, it's cute and it's okay, it's fine, but, you know, it's like three kids in a. I mean, it's, it's tight. Would you ever give up your office for the kids? Well, and, then, the and then work, you know, work outside? I think it's um I think it's better for everyone that I'm around. Right. That's it. Yeah. You know, I think it's first of all financially like and I got to pay for, you know, I mean I yeah. guess you could say the co-working space, but you know, I still need a place to work at at times on the weekends and stuff yeah. and different times and um I I I think um I mean, I think it's better that I think we can live with the kids there. They don't it's not like they spend all day in the room. We have a big enough place people can roam Just around. To sleep. Oh no, you've got a very big place. It's actually very, not that big. It's thirteen hundred square feet. I feel like it's bigger than this. Yeah, it's bigger than uh, this. You know what I mean? But this it's just like not chunked up into so many rooms. That's the only thing. The big well it has yeah. vaulted ceilings. I love those vaulted ceilings, yeah, it's really nice. So um Yeah, do you anybody have a question? Do you have any other Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I mean, like Uber is not your first startup that had the potential to be an Uber. Like you've been involved in quite a few of those. Yeah, I've had a I've had a lot of shots on goals. Like I've been involved in a lot of things that either started or started with somebody that didn't go anywhere. You know, whether it was Renaissance Research Group or Cobalt Trading or Phoenix Trading, all the different high frequency trading, all the trading things, intelligent market technologies, Prezo. You know, there were projects i worked on that bootstrap that we just never really got launched like um god what's the my um uh epic night epic night yeah any foo you know i've done things and you know they never either got off the ground or we just couldn't get escape velocity or whatever and um yeah i mean i think when you look i mean i, I it's like I, I always feel a little self-conscious talking about like giving like trying to explain my success for whatever success I've had, because it could be complete bullshit and it's just it's, luck. It's luck, right? Right. Yeah. Like there's a certain amount of luck. Yeah. But if 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 you don't accept that it's pure luck and you say, well it has something to do with the fact that you've done a lot of stuff. And I'd say, yeah, you shots on goal. Like if you're playing a soccer game and you just stand there the whole time, like you are not going to impact the game. You are not going to ever score the goal. Right. But at least you get the ball and you run around in the offense and you just kick the ball to goal sometimes. And, you know, hell, one might go in. I mean, it's funny. We're playing a game there night and I didn't really have a good option. And Shane's sitting standing in front of the goal and I said, screw it. I'm just going to just chip it right on his over right his head, right from the goalie, because that's the most dangerous place to put the ball. If I was the goalie, the last thing I'd want is a curving, dropping ball right in front of the strike front. And it went and he skimmed off his head and goal. Nice. And I was like, and the guys were like, oh, that was lucky. I was like, wow, well, lucky. But I was like, I put it in the most dangerous place I could put it, you know? <laughs> Luck, surface and, area. And yeah, you put it like, so 
Yeah. And, um, and so I think, um, you know, things that have gone well for me or things, or I should say when luck has happened for me, it's usually result of the fact of a couple things. One is like service doing stuff so that exhibiting energy and developing some kind of skills or competence in things, not, not necessarily saying that I'm some super expert in things, but it's like I have some level of competence in building trading systems or in a building mobile app or whatever, right? I have some level where people outside of are like, wow, you know some stuff or wow, okay. And then um, the second is I'm social or outgoing enough that I talk and know, I seem to run a lot of people and I'm... <laughs> And 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 I'm good enough at letting them know what I do. Not that that's my purpose, but I end up just we just through conversation, they find out what I do, and then inevitably stuff happens. So I think it's that this luck service. It's a do and tell, man. You just like, you know. <coughs> but again, it's a it's a it's a random variable. So it's like, you know, I could just have done all this stuff and nothing happened. You know. Yeah. I mean, he could have been said like, I talked to lots of people and I built lots of stuff. And you know what? I mean, just like you can, you can play roulette and thinking I'm a black 25 times in a row, <laughs> you know, it's just, well, you, but you, you kind know, of, you I write. don't know, because you can like you calibrate as you go along. So it's the calibrations, like you're kind of like this and then you're just getting to a thinner point where you're calibrating and it's just going to be more chance because that just looks like a better opportunity. Like you're much more selective about your opportunities now, right? Like when someone comes up and says, "Hey, we want to be my partner," you're very selective about it compared to where you were. Like, too. I'm yeah. learning too. Yeah, yeah, but um, <coughs> uh, I know I lost my camera. Ah, anyway, so um, do, do we want to talk about any tech this show? <laughs> uh, do we have a question? Anybody have any uh, any tech things that they want to talk about? Any ideas for uh, anything? Any anything? Bueller. Bueller. Let me look at my notes. Let me see. Um, so I'm trying to think here. What, what do I got? Um, Super. Oh, oh, I got something that was kind of funny. Yeah. Is this? There's a title of this article in Tector. This is actually uh, like maybe a month or two old. And you know the show uh, Scorpion? No. You know Scorpion? They've, it was, so basically, the the premise of the show is like the government um, has this group of people that are like the smartest people in the world and they solve problems for the government that the government can't solve. Yeah, no. Called Scorpion or something. Yeah. It's like a company like the Scorpion Group or something. And it's it's supposed to be based on a real untrue life thing. But this guy, I think it's Walter O'Brien is his name, right? And so he's actually involved with the show as a producer, but he says, okay, like he has an IQ of 197 and he had this special consulting group that only hires people with IQs of 150 and above. And they solve these extremely difficult problems for the government. And they've he's he's sold software, image recognition software that is say is caused uh, is saved you know the the U.S. from getting involved in two different wars and all those crazy claims. And uh, and so you know you keep hearing on about there's a lot of press about this real life this this amazing story about the scor scorpion, which is all based on true life. Well, it turns out I mean based. Based on the story of the Hector, it's like it's, it seems like it's utter bullshit. Like, complete bullshit. Like, this guy was a QA guy at the Capital Group or something, and that he was a... It has him, like, as a co-founder of Sun Microsystems, but in LinkedIn, it doesn't show him joining until it was already a public company. <laughs> and he was a regional sales manager. So the whole thing is just a marketing setup? 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, pretty much. I mean, the guy, like all of these, I mean, there's all these ridiculous things that like Homeland Security started contracting with him when he was like 13 or 16. Like he started hacking computers when he was 13 and then Homeland Security, because he was hacking all these systems, they found him and they said, hey, you're, this kid's really good. We're going to hire his, him and his company. Well, it was like, you know, 10 years before Homeland Security was ever formed. <laughs> you know, it's just like the most basic things that nobody checked. And then, and that's what the article, guys, friend was like, do, do, do invest, do reporters ever even ask any questions anymore? Do they ever even think, do they just like repeat what people say? Yeah. Well, if they're, if they're bloggers, why would they? I mean, I mean and again, if people, some people are like, well, it's a TV show. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. But you know, you think that there'd be a, just a cursory, you know, level of checking the facts. The guy says he has a hundred IQ of 197 or that he was kind of, I mean, would you just kind of check on a couple of those things or like just take everything that the guy says is at face value? Like, or there was a great, um, this American life story. I don't know. Did you hear it? It was about, it was, it was called magic words was the show. I think. And one of the set, have you heard this American life? You've obviously you have, right? No. You've never heard this American life. Oh, I've heard this American life. Yeah. But I, I don't know what story yeah, you're yeah. talking about. So, so anyway, there's the one segment it's about this guy who basically this guy worked in this occult bookshop and he he wasn't particularly rich he was just like working there and he was selling all these books and he's like i i could i could write one of these books so he just made up a, a whole kind of occult concept about this various different things mix and match just really weird things like um you know rub four mushrooms on your nose, just things like that. And this sold thousands and thousands of copies and people really believed in this thing. And the, the story was told so well. And, and he, just, he just wrote it in a way that he thought would just convince people and convince people in their mind. But he, he, himself and his family just used to laugh about it like at dinner. They'd read through the book and they'd be like, people are buying this shit, you know. Right, but right. Uh, yeah. People you know, and Converse, there's another <laughs> This American Life, which was probably eight years ago or something. And, uh, it was about the, it's called the super I think was the title mm. of the, the episode. And it was a superintendent. I think he was like Russian or Ukrainian and it was like, in New York. And he would just say all these l- ludicrous, amazing, fantastical things. And everybody just, just assumed he was full of it. And then later people started realizing that it was likely true. Like this guy, I don't know. He was like an agent and he did this or, I mean, I mean, I don't, do you, you remember it? Oh, you, you make Micah? Was that it? But there was also some other things, right? There was some other stuff to it. Like there was not just one line. There was like different things that he was. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. I mean, it's an amazing story. It's one of my all-time favorite This American Life, the super. I mean, I guess the fact that you guys even remember, I just said the super and you start nodding your head and it's like eight or ten years ago. That. This is good. Definitely worth listening. That show is great. This American Life. I mean, they put a lot of uh, production value into that, though. They, they spent a lot of time editing it and getting it all sounding right. It's kind of one of those things that's funny. I, I get in the mood where I want to listen to them, and I listen to them for like a month, and then I don't listen to it for like six mm. months. Like it's you know how that goes. I do, it, especially with no agenda. I feel that you're way. You're still on and off. Like, I'm more more off than on, but I'll, I'll listen to an episode. But now I get, I just it's like half an hour, and I'm like, oh. Wait, why, why do you it's not, too what, political what? it's just too much you know like as i was saying i think to someone last night um i you got into it in the first place because of they just used to talk like us just about their lives there wasn't any reason that they spoke right and that's kind of interesting because it's like you know they're your buddies right you know, john devorak's talking about the nice wine that he had at a restaurant or something right 
but now it's just it's just so much well it's just the whole thing's full of agenda like it's nothing but agenda right all agenda <laughs> yeah just complete agenda but it's yes agenda <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know one of my favorite new shows i don't think i've brought up on the pod on that podcast is cracked it is one oh of someone was talking about that artist i think it is someone the, mentioned that oh yeah, was, yeah cracked you were talking about the cracked podcast I, yeah, I would claim I would basically say it is about the smartest show on TV. Maybe maybe hardcore history, Freakonomics. I like if you you know, there's there's a handful of maybe there's some show that interviews normal lawyers or whatever. But I mean like it's it's hosted by some comedic, smart alecky, smart ass guys, which are hilarious. They're really funny. I love the the guy who talks to is Hello the Internet. <laughs> talks to it. Like our that's our version of you people. Yeah, you people. Yeah. Like, oh, the internet. And so and they're 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 very funny. They're very easy to listen to because they're humorous, and they have like such interesting. They have such weird idiosyncratic voices, which actually adds to it. But they're very smart, and so they'll talk about like cognitive biases or are like how you know films. I don't know. They always do X, Y, and Z. Like one of the best ones that I I don't even know the best one. The ones that are easy to explain and fun to listen and fun to talk about was how certain actors always do the same things in certain movies, no matter what. Tom Cruise is running. In every Running, movie. you know, I know. We always think about that. Yeah, Tom Hanks is taking a pee in every movie he's in, <laughs> <laughs> and like we, you start thinking about it, you're like, "Holy crap, he is!" You're yeah. watching, like, that is the weirdest thing. Like, you think that they that he talked to the director right and say, "Look, you got to have me taking a pee in the scene because that's what I that's do. That's what I do. That's my trademark." You know, and they had all these things, and what I was talking about, like how some stories are so well done that you don't realize how. Um, ridiculous it is yeah. the story ten, like how how many leaps in logic and they were talking about jaws or something like that like you know the shark like the shark is just really vindictive yeah, <laughs> really like it doesn't make any sense like, why would the shark come back to the boat I, I think one of the best was they were talking about like halloween and what was what's the um, um is that with Mike jason myers? myers what's a um michael myers right and he's talking about how like he's like you have this couple having sex in bed and he's like underneath the bed and then he like waits till they have sex right at the point of intercourse and then he stabs them up through <laughs> but the whole time he's sitting there going wait for it wait for it <laughs> like i gotta wait for it <laughs> i mean if for multiple impact you know it's, uh, or if they get up and they leave he's like, Shit. like I, gotta, <laughs> I missed them you know, or he's like i got through the, the mattress they gotta get through this so, <laughs> I mean, it was so funny. They just went through movie after movie. And then, you, I mean, anyway, I highly recommend Crack. Crack is, you know, it was it's based, it was ultimately started from that old magazine. You were on Mad Magazine? Yeah. And there was Cracked Magazine was like sort of like the Pepsi to Coke. It was like another, you see it in right. like the grocery store. I don't know, you're from England, so maybe you don't. But in the U.S., you would, at least in the 80s, 70s and 80s, you'd have like Mad Magazine. And sometimes it'd be Crack. But usually Crack is like behind because it's like third rate even. But that same company, I guess they stopped in the magazine, and one of the things they, they had like a, their website, the cracked website, which I, yes, which has hilarious like yeah. the ten you know guys who can't be killed, and you know it's like Rasputin, you know, and they'll just like these amazing stories or ten reasons why people are blah blah blah. And they're really actually very funny. There's a lot of interesting sites coming up. I see Nautilus a lot, uh, and then I see Medium dot us a lot, and uh, Subtle. Like there's there's a lot of interesting. Oh, okay, well, well okay. So subtle was talked uh, was by created by um, Justin, Justin Curtis, Curtis, who's a friend of Ben's, right? Oh, 
friend of Ben's, right? right. And a friend of Alex Bacaw. And I he's he's um I think he's uh known to be extremely uh camera shy. There are no photos of him on the web anywhere. Yeah, well Ben won't say anything about him because uh, he's, he's I'm like, seeing yes. Medium come up a lot recently on Hacker News and uh, Okay, so Medium it. is was created by Evan Williams, I believe from of Twitter and the uh, blogger oh, and, really? right right. So is there a Medium and the I think the idea was create this publishing tool and initially it was sort of like subtle actually which is like they create this really slick um, publishing tool and then they invited a bunch of really talented writers to to write for it, right? And then that brought a lot of attention to the publishing platform. But I think rather than turning it into some kind of publishing tool, they just became a publishing outlet or whatever, a publisher. Mm. And I don't know if that was their goal along or they switched or whatever, but that's kind of what they are, right? They just, they just, they just started using it last week. It's really nice. And so, but they, so do they, so do they just like curate and pick great posts that are published on the home and, and no, anyone push? can do it. I think that's the way they started. Okay. But now they allow, uh, anyone they, they are producing content and then any user can also curate their own subject matter basically. Right. There's a, have you also seen Nautilus? Nautilus is a magazine. It's a magazine. That once again, that just seems like a really great quality. That you can also get oh, it shipped yeah. to you. Like, but all the stuff, the articles, very, very nice. Quality. Yeah, very high quality. Yeah, I like. There was actually a couple others, and I'm, I'm, I can't think of them. I'm, I'm blanking on them. But Nautilus is one. There's there of that. There was li- always DamnInteresting.com, which was always great. Did you ever see yeah, that? That's closer to like a cracked. Yeah. Post, yeah. Right. Like yeah. kind of. Um, yeah. What do you have? Some other. Websites and other. That's it. Okay. That's well, it. yeah. What, what's the next topic? We need a segue. Okay. Um, a, a question from the audience or something in the email that you sent out. Okay. Um, you know, here's something I want to ask. I thought this might could be an interesting discussion. Might not go anywhere. Is what are your best and worst habits that af- that affect your productivity and effectiveness? What are things that do that you do that you that Sort of super accelerate things. And then there, what are those things that you do that are just really bad and you know it and you're trying to fight against them? You have things? Well, the really bad thing I do is eat too much and that makes me fall asleep. <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah. Like another day, you just... Yeah, like maybe I, you know, if I have just too much carbs or something and I just feel like, oh God, I can't work. The productivity killer yeah. one is you eat like, is it like carbs or just anything? Just, bad, just junk, some, Over some junk. junk yeah. yeah, so that's definitely a bad habit. What else? Um, to, a productivity killer? Um, well, I mean, Hacker News. Hacker News is still time suck, right? <laughs> yeah, um, just having too much fun doing other stuff. Basically, my main productivity killer is having too much fun doing other stuff that isn't work, whatever that is. When you get up and start working, do you get right to it, or do you have this period of kind of screwing around with sending emails, uh, checking comments. I wouldn't say uh, screwing around. I would say that that's actually quite a productive time. Like my inbox is always like this. And I always feel like I can't start the day until I've like cleared it out. It's just going to, it just bugs me to have that stuff in there. Yeah. But that's so the first, first inbox, thing I do. Inbox, inbox. And that also wakes me up by the way, you know, so I'm, I may be doing that on my cell, just like leaving messages or whatever. It's kind of how I wake myself up. So that's kind of actually the first thing I do when I open my eyes is I lean over, grab my cell, Look at my inbox, process it, messages. Are and you it your inbox, or you get persons like infinite? No, we already had that discussion. I'm, I'm infinite. Infinite. Yeah. Okay, I'm zero. So Sandy's infinite too. Never delete. It's just whether it's bold or not. 
Well, or is it just I, kind of, I, I is it like is it like Hacker News that scrolls off the front page? And I delete less, junk. Might as well go off into the abyss. I delete junk. I flag important, and I, everything else I just let go. I mean, I guess it doesn't make any difference because um, deleting is really. Different. In terms of boosting productivity, um, I find I, I've been finding recently that that there's this time every day where Georgie goes to sleep with Jack at eight between eight and ten. They kind of have this nap. And that is like my most productive time. This is the evening after Yeah, dinner. yeah. So I will always do like a, a work on disco at that time. Right. And obviously I work on Digidoo just basically all day, every day. <laughs> so that's also quite productive. Does anyone here have any really good productivity things or things they do that give them, they feel like kind of like double bounce? You know, like makes, them, makes you really... A, there's a, a Mac app that I use called uh, Self-Control. <laughs> that's a good name um, and you just add domains that you want blocked and there's a timer on it interesting so set it to whatever timer I think defaults to 15 minutes but I usually whack it up to like 2 hours <laughs> so no self-control whatsoever <laughs> forces self-control and, uh, and it's completely un- undoable you can't once you've set that time even if you restart your computer you, those domains will still be blocked for 2 hours can you change the amount of hours so you have to be careful because if you're like you know, especially if you're developing on the web, if you block like Facebook or Twitter, but you need Facebook or Twitter to, to as part of your development, you better hope you haven't just blocked that domain because you can't even gonna have to wait until it like, comes available again before you can fix a bug or something. Oh wow! That's why I said it for like two hours. I see. So one of uh, my friends, uh, Tyler Rennell, uh created a site called Habit RPG. Have any of you guys ever used that? Uh, so it sort of yeah. gamifies. Um, I have actually. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So it. Uh, gamifies trying to achieve whatever your goals are using like role paint. Um, so like you create your uh, whatever you're trying to achieve, and then you set your goals. Like okay, you'll get like ten coins if you get this this goal or whatever. And uh, I don't know. I, I think it just works really really well. It's like kind of for people that used to play role playing games, it gives you that kind of nostalgia. It sounds um, like Epic Win. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that. Epic Win. It's like an iPhone app. Epic win, and it's exactly yeah. that. There's like a, a role playing game, and you've set your task, and once you've achieved it, it's like you've leveled up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep. That's a nice feeling in the brain. Like you can feel the dopamine kicking in when you get that thing. I kind of feel that when I tick off an email, you know, like done. Yes, done. The gamification of like real world tasks. You know, I, I mean, did the washing up. Email's actually quite addictive. It's kind of one of the most addictive things there is. Checking your email, clearing it out. So are you constantly checking your emails? I do, yeah. I do. I, I go through phases. Like work emails, I answer real fast. Um, I get it. I get them answered within you know ten minutes. But other emails can like hang around for days. That drives Jason mad because he want he wants he tries to answer the texting emails. So whenever we get an email, I'll just always just wait until he answers, and then I'll then I'll just chip on an extra bit to the end. <laughs> Actually, sorry, one, one other thing I was going to mention that I that I do that actually work, works pretty well is uh, I delete all my apps from my phone. So, oh. like, uh, if for a short period of time, if I want to be productive for, like, let's say a week or two, like, I'll just take all you know, Twitter, Facebook, everything off, and uh, that saves you. Because, like, I'm just like you. I pull my phone out and look at it constantly, but if all the apps are off, then it's like, okay, yeah, okay, get back to work. That keeps productivity up. Yeah, well, Jason just stepped out there for a, a minute or two, and he's back now. You missed you missed all the discussion of productivity. Oh, sorry, I had to break. So, um, I have to 
we ha- I mean, I have to update on, on a couple story lines. Yeah. Even though I apologize in advance because we talked a little bit about this stuff or a lot of bit about it. At the, in the dinners? In the previous yeah. dinners. Yeah. So what I, for our listeners, they're going to want to update. So if he told us, like, I'm out. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. Three times, I'm out. But um, so one, I, I think we should get an update on Operation Superhero. All right. I won't. We'll keep it relatively short. So last time we talked, um, I had had two weigh-ins, mm-hmm. right? My initial, it came in at 204. is 24.5% body fat, 2.4 change. And then I, and I came in after eight weeks, and I was 189 and I was twenty, almost twenty-one percent body fat, and so then, and then, then my next weigh-in was scheduled was this past Tuesday for six weeks, and the goal that 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 the nutritionist set for me was I was at one eighty-nine, and she was gonna, she said, "I want you at one eighty-one," and so I can, but about three weeks in, I just plateaued. I couldn't get through one eighty-five. One eighty-five point four was my low. And I kept hitting it, and then I just wouldn't go below it, and I was getting really, really demoralized because I was working out hard. I was just right on in the diet, and I was just like, you know. And then you start getting this sort of fuck it phase, like you know, all right, I'm just going to try to do carbs this week because it is. I'm going to, or rather, I'm not going to be a strict at dinner because it doesn't matter, right? Clearly, this isn't nothing's happening. You know, I don't maybe having him chicken broccoli doesn't make a difference. I'll have chili and the cornbread tonight, and because if I'm if I'm not going to lose weight, I might as well not suffer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I, I could probably hold even, just eat what I want. And so then it gets around to the weekend before the Tuesday weigh-in. It was a Tuesday morning weigh-in. And I've been having Sunday night or Sunday cheat days. And those are days when I just go to town and I have donuts and Chipotle. And we go out to dinner and get pasta or pizza, whatever. You know, I just unleash. And, and I kind of had remembered I had a Tuesday weigh-in, but I kind of was putting it on my mind because I was so demoralized. And then I remember right after the day, the next day, and I'm just like, oh, like I'm going to weigh in like three pounds heavy because it takes like three days for my body to normalize because you eat all these carbs and your body just holds all this water. And so I'm like, I don't even know why I'm going in because I'm, I'm going to look like I lost like one pound, mm-hmm. you know. So I go in and I kind of walk in. My head's a little down. She's like, how's it going? I'm like, well, I, I don't think this weigh in is going to be good, you know. And I basically told her kind of what I was said. And she's like, all right, we'll just get on the machine. Let's, let's, let's see how the numbers come out. So I get on and it comes in and I'm, I had lost six pounds of fat and put on 2.6 pounds of muscle. So she's just like, that's amazing, right? Because <laughs> she's like, she's like, our goal last time, because last time what she said is I had lost a lot of fat, which was great, but I didn't put on any muscle at all. And she's like, you're, you're too much of a caloric deficit. You need to eat another couple hundred calories a day and you need to just chill out on the cardio. Your cardio is a little too much. So, so you could have put on muscle before if you'd ate more, you just, you just ate, didn't eat enough. Yes. Right. I, I mean, oh. or, or done too much cardio, one or the other. I mean, so, so, the bo- so the body just can't put on muscle unless there's extra calories. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think generally speaking, you know, I mean, there's wow. certain special cases you have to have excess calories to put on weight whether it's muscle or fat or whatever. You don't have excess calories, you just can't do it. I mean, it's, I'm sure you could probably boil it down to laws of physics, but it certainly seems to be the case, in, you know, physio- physiologically. And, you know, all, the, you know, when you're talking about guys or women who are bodybuilders or whatever, and they're trying to put on muscle, I mean, they really eat a lot of calories, four or 5,000 calories a day. And they go through these bulk phases for months where they just 
and pack on a pack on muscle. And then they go to these cut phases where they just cut the calories down. They try and cut all the fat off for the competition. So anyway, so she had said like, look, I think with your body type, we can hit the, the sort of the Goldilocks zone where you're putting on muscle and burning fat. And I kind of didn't believe her. So the first couple of weeks, I really didn't cut the calorie. I didn't add the calories because I was too addicted to losing a pound and a half. But then after a few weeks, I wasn't weight. I was just like, well, screw it. You know, I mean, like it's not working. So anyway, that was so anyway, my body fat percentage went down from 21% to 16.4, which is huge, yeah. huge drop. Um, so which was interesting, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, and I think it's a, just a good lesson for life in general. You get ob- obsessed with metrics and sometimes these metrics aren't telling you everything you need to know. The scale was not telling the true story. I put on nearly three pounds of muscle and that made me feel like I wasn't losing weight. And I hadn't lost quite as much weight, but the muscle gain was substantial and actually probably more important. So, and it achieved exactly what she said it would happen. But yeah. She was the seer. So that was really great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, uh, so that's the latest, that's the update on Operation Super. Oh, and the other thing is um, I'm back doing like heavy lifting my legs. I'm still working on the, on the vertical jump stuff, but I'm still kind of just trying to get, because I was out for so long with a pulled hamstring. But remind me how many inches you've got to put on, put onto your jump. A lot. Like five, um, five inches, 10 inches. Let's think. So I would say probably from where I started. From, I, I guess from, well, from where you started and from now. Okay, so where I started, I would guess I have, I was probably jumping, I don't know, some of the guys who saw the video, what would you say, if it was seven inches low maybe? Six inches low? Eight inches low? You, you went from touching the bottom of the backboard to touching the bottom of the ring. Yeah, well, I, I, think it was, I don't think it was quite that extreme, but yeah, I mean, I, I improved probably a few inches, three inches, so I was probably, oh God, eight, I was probably, the, the rim is 120 inches. I was probably 100, I could probably, my Two-step jump was to 112, and I have a 91-inch reach, so that's... Well, you need to go higher than the rim for a dunk, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just trying to work it out, right? Yeah. And then, so I went from, so 9 um, to 112, so it's 21-inch re- jump, to probably a 24-inch vertical, 25, so the point where, you know, so I put them about 3 inches, so it's maybe 4, four, four inches. I was probably more like 4 inches, 3 inches below the rim. I don't know, so... That, I'm almost there again. I, I After I got injured, I lost some muscle and six weeks just kind of lost everything I'd gained. You've got to add like 10 inches to your jump from where you are now. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I um, Colby um, uh, had a, well, actually Colby, I guess it was kind of a dual birthday. Colby and I have our birthdays almost at the same time. So Colby wanted to go to Sky World, which is a, uh, our Sky Zone, which is like a trampoline place where they have all these trampolines all kind of connected and jump around and they have dodgeball on the trampolines on a part of it. Well, they had this one part where they had like an eight foot basket and then I had a 10 foot basket and you could run and jump and dunk on the basket. And you know, you me, I'm like, Oh yes. Like this is so awesome. <laughs> so I go there and it's me and four other guys. And they're all like in their early twenties and two guys had never done it. And they were, you know, 20 something and they're, you're just trying to dunk. And then there's, Two two other guys who do it all the time. One guy was a, was a as a collegiate um, uh, high jumper, and I mean these guys would take these running jumps, jump and do these spinning three sixties. They would get their head above the rim. I mean it was unbelievable. I would jump, I could dunk, 
But I, I would live. When you, when you say you were there with them, you, they would they just happen to be there at the same time? I basically ignored the kids and the party. <laughs> Sandy's like, you having fun? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, check out this dunk. <laughs> She's like, all right, you know. And so, you know, and then me and all the guys, I mean, we we're all giving each other high fives after every dunk, you know. And, <laughs> and so, um, and so it was, it was, it was a blast. I mean, although I was so, my stomach was sore for a week jumping that much, but. Um, so I did that for like an hour and a half <laughs> until we went ate pizza and cake and everything. But um, the the one guy I was talking to, who was the he had graduated, he had gone to I was like Mount Sac or something, and he had graduated like a year or two ago. And I said, I was amazed. I'm like, I'm like, how man, you're jumping like crazy. Do you do 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 you jump in college a long jump? And he's like, yeah, I was a high jumper. And I I said, well, did you increase your vertical? He's like, yeah, about eleven inches. And he's like, first, I lost a little bit of weight. And then it was like, and then we started going through it. And it was all the things we're talking about, squats and deadlifts and jumping exercises and stretching. And, you know, wow. and he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, and I was telling him some of the stuff that I was doing. Right. And he's like, yeah, that works. It's that's that'll work. You know, so I mean, it's possible. Like I said, it's hard work. You know, it's just like losing weight or putting on muscle or anything else. It's like it's not going to happen in two or three months and it's going to be hard work, but it's achievable. So I'm on that path. Um, but, um, everything, you know, I guess, so what, so I started everything in the June 7th and what it's basically four months later, you know, I'd say, so the weight loss and all, and the rehab, my shoulder is all better and my Achilles tendons are all better and all that stuff is, has been incredible change in four months. The increase in my vertical, um, you know, few inches is good, but now it's like, I got to really, the next few months hopefully be a substantial improvement. Whatever happened to uh, the scripts that you wanted writing for um, those, those TV shows? Or was there a, a, a guy you met in your gym? And- yeah. So I had that idea for the kind of Ocean's Eleven X-Files kind of thing. In fact, when I first saw Scorpion, I was like, you know, it looked like a group of weird collection of hackers and different people who were working for the government, some covert thing. And I was like, don't tell me. Don't tell me they sold the option of the script and they sold it and changed it a little bit. And that was, I was like, uh, so I went and checked his profile to see if he had any credit for the writing or creation of it. And it wasn't the case. So I was like, okay, good. That would have really kind of pissed me off. But um, yeah, so no, I, the, you know, what you're referencing, some people may not know about. So I had this crazy idea about, I don't know how long ago it was, three years ago or something. I was thinking it'd be cool if you had like this Ocean's Eleven style ensemble group of like ex-CIA covert type of people, hackers, whatever, misfits in a certain way. And they and they sort of get blackmailed. They get caught red-handed doing some kind of criminal activity, maybe trying to break into some bank or, or something. And they, and they get blackmailed by uh, a the security, the people who work security for that institution that happen to be some subsidiary of a big um, uh, defense contractor like type of Aretheon, general dynamics type. And then they basically say, listen, you guys are all going to jail for decades. You've broken on all these laws based on we just caught you breaking in tops, trying to get into these top secret government computers, da, da, da. But we have an out for you. You're going to break in government's secure facility and you're going to steal this information for us because the government is giving this information to one of our competitors and they're going to own this market and they're going to, you know, this is going to be a, a huge 
um, a market advantage for them. So that's what you're going to do. So this is your choice. And so the guys, so not much of a choice. So then the guys get together, they're like, you know. So they basically get blackmailed into breaking into Area 51. It turns out is the place. So there's some top secret government technology that's being pushed to their competitor. And then the idea is they, it turns kind of X-Files, they get in, and then, you know, maybe three or four episodes in, they realize, is this alien technology? Are the rumors true? And then you go down the rabbit hole of, you know, uncovering decades and decades of this and cover up and top secret, secret access groups and need to know and this and stuff. And then it's like kind of funny and all this stuff. So that was the whole idea for the movie. Cause I'm thinking like, I think of some of my favorite movies and TV shows. I'm like, what would be, you know, the, the best combination of things that I can think of. And I thought that, and I, I told this, you know, so I told a couple of friends of mine and they kind of smile and that sounds like a good, I'd watch that, you know? And so I told it to a guy I was friendly with at the gym a buddy of mine and I said hey Tyler what do you think of this idea and uh, it was like a you know and he stops and he listens and he's like I like it let's do it I'm like what do you mean do it he's like he's like he's like let's he's like I'll write it and uh, then I'll write a uh, you know a treatment for it or whatever for a, as like a TV series or something and then um, or a movie I can't he, we were kind of talking about whether it should be a TV series or a movie there were different trade-offs for each and he's like, and then we'll go around and we'll uh, pitch it. And I was like, just like that. He's like, yeah, pretty much. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm like, well, I have a few friends in the business who've written and produced some stuff. So I could probably also get us, you know, a manager and, you know, or get some, get some introductions, get some meetings with at least a handful of production companies. But it sounds like you got a lot of connections so we can do that. I'm like, wait a minute. So you're going to write it. What am I going to do? <laughs> he's like, nothing. You're the creator. I'm like, I like that. So you write it. I don't do shit. And I own half? He's like, that's how Hollywood works. I like, I like Hollywood. That's because that's not how it works in Silicon Valley, you know, or tech world. And uh, so then what happened was, you know, over a period of a few months, he'd be like working on it. And I'd see him at the gym a couple times a week. And I'd be like, and every once in a while, I'd be like, so how's the script going? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've got a lot done actually on it and it's coming along and should have something for you to read in a, another couple of weeks. And then then it was like, and it was like weird excuse. Oh, I had it in the car, but then my kids spilled something on it. So I have to go print another copy and then this or that. And then then I get this thing where he goes, yeah, so I talked to my manager, my agent, and he said, really, that since you didn't write it, you should really only get a couple points, but then you would have points no matter what in perpetuity and I was like that doesn't seem quite what we talked about <laughs> you know I mean 50 50 I'm the creator too I get two points you know forever and I'm like not that I necessarily thought a 50 50 deal was fair right I mean it would be fair if I was going around and I spent months and months or years pitching and developing the project with him right it sounds like he was unaware of how much work he he was just like talking you know well I don't think it took it that much. Where he, he seemed like he's a really fast writer. And the way he said, I don't think, I mean, not that he didn't put some time in. I mean, maybe he put, you know, 100 hours of work into it or something. It wasn't like he worked on it for months. He was working on other projects and on and off. But I think really what happened is he went and talked to his agent, and his agent was like, That was a bad, dumb deal. Well, just kind of like, Well, who's this guy? Yeah. You know, and why is he getting this? And maybe, and so he told, you know, maybe he just gave him a couple points and whatever. And, um, 
which happened to me in a startup idea I've talked about different times, which now, did, did I, anything ever happen to that oh, script? Oh, hold on. So, 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 uh, so let me just finish the story and right. I'll get to that. So he, um, and then, so I see him at the, uh, at the, and I, and I was like, he kind of said, as we were kind of passing, we were talking, he's like, Oh, well, look, I'll talk, well, we'll talk about it. You know, he's no, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, it's not really okay. Uh, you know, and, and if he had said to me, listen, early on, like you're the creator, write it like, Normally, creator, if you don't, you might get between 5 and 10%, depending on how involved you are. I'm going to do the writing and stuff. And I'd be like, that sounds reasonable. You know, 5% for coming up with an idea and helping develop, not really doing much. Like, I'll, that sounds good. But for him to do that and then say, well, you get 2% later, I'm just like, you know, I, I was like, that's kind of weird, right? To do that and, and not really have a real conversation about it. And then, like, another month goes by and I see him across the gym and I'm like on like an elliptical machine. I was going to sit talking to someone and I'm like, and I kind of, and he's kind of leaving the gym. I'm like, hey, Tyler, what? I'm like, what happened? What's going on? He's like, ah, I sold it, man. I sold that. Ah, long story, I'll tell you. What? You know, like what? I mean, what is that? Oh. Uh, he sold it. He sold it. So did, did you get me? your cash? No. I mean, I never signed anything. We never sold anything. He just sold it. And I'm like, that, I mean, so then I didn't see him for like, Two months. Did, did you tell him, uh, by the way, I'm kind of pissed off with you? Well, so like I said, he's leaving the gym. Right. He is walking out. He has his gear. He's kind of on his way out. I kind of yell across to him. I'm on the machine, middle of conversation. Oh, so he, hey, Tyler, what? So what happened? He's like, oh, I saw it. I saw it. Oh, and, he, and he just walks out. And then he just keeps on walking out. Jesus. And then I don't see him for like, I don't know, two months, six weeks, you know? And he's not like an email guy. Yeah. And so it wasn't like we were emailing back and forth. I didn't really have a easy way to talk to him. Yeah. So, and then I see him and at that point I was just like, I mean, screw him. Like I didn't even talk. So I, he, but then he was just kind of avoiding me. Yeah. And, and that's basically all that ever happened. But that's where it is now. And I don't, I don't, um, so you don't know what, so you're probably going to see this script, this on TV one day and it's be like, eh, you know what? A lot of stuff gets written and sold and never gets developed. Right. You know, he probably sold it. Well, see, the thing is, he probably sold it between for between fifteen and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So let's say he sold it for twenty, thirty thousand dollars. And so what am I in a big argument for him to get like five or ten thousand dollars that I'm not gonna get any I mean it's stupid. It's not enough money to, to, to fight about or even make a big issue about. But you wouldn't have even wanted that anyway. You you want the per- per- in perpetuity concept, right? You know what I wanted is I wouldn't have wanted to be treated in that way. Right, yeah. You know, if he'd come back to me and said, Jason, listen, you know what I said about the 50-50 thing? That's not really how things work. And this has been a lot of work. And, you know, if, if you really, really want to be involved, do this stuff, like, it's where I deal. But if I'm going to developing this, like, I would have been like, all right, I get it. I get it. He sounds like a dick. You know what it sounds like? To, you know what I think it is? I think he, uh, he does this for a living. This always makes money. He needs the money. He needed to make a sell. He needed the 20000 or $30,000 that was going to pay for things for three months. He needed it. And uh, he and he probably thought I can probably just not share the situation and I can just get it and it'll pay our credit card bill and my wife will be happy. And he made that trade off his mind and that was what he did. And that may have been the best decision for him. You know? It may have, well, you can like sell a script or you can, sell, you can just sell the script itself. Like he write like a treatment or a description. Like I think he... Transform. He actually transformed it into a movie. So I think he just wrote a movie screenplay based on this. And I think he probably just sold the script. Let you do it. My buddy, I have a couple of buddies who are writers and 
slash producers, and they've done, they've sold. They've got option scripts, which means that you sell, give this production company the option to develop it for some period of time. And if they don't do it, then it reverts back and you can sell the, option, sell the script or sell the option. So that's what happened. And, um, you know, what was kind of funny is, uh, like, this is like a month ago. A few goes, he goes, I thought, he just, and I hadn't talked to him like a year and a half or two, you know, however long that's been. It's been a long time, two years. And, and when we initially talked, um, you know, at the time I was still, I was just getting involved with Uber, maybe the first year or whatever. And so he comes in and he's like, he just kind of, I'm in the locker room and I'm just kind of like put grab my stuff out right quick. And he's like, you, you work with Uber, right? Like you, you did all that stuff. He's like, am I right to remember that? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, did you get equity? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, is it a lot? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> nice. And he's like, wow. I'm like, you know, that's all I said. So I was like, bye. You know, it was just like, you know. F you. Yeah, screw you. Yeah. You know, yeah, I got lucky. That's why I said, yeah, I got lucky. You know, and I don't know. I mean, it's happened to me. I, and I've, I've talked about shows. It's happened to me so many times in this life where I've been in a situation it's happened to me in a hedge fund. It happened to me in a startup where I took like um, 10% for developing it, launching a conference. I've had it this, I've had it, and I've had another start where you get in a situation with somebody and then there's opportunity to make some money off of it. And if it's a substantial amount of money relative to their income slash net worth, they will sell you out every time. That's what we were talking about last night, right? About uh, the Twitter story. Yeah. That basically there was just a lot of backstabbing, infighting, cutting people out. I'm four for four. Yeah, you no, you four times it's happened yeah. in different contexts. And like this is just a very minor version of it. Yeah. But you know, I now I pretty much count on it. I mean, if there's no money at stake and it's just like, oh, a couple guys in LLC and we make a thousand dollars a month, it's like nobody's gonna screw over it's not enough money relative to anyone's net worth to be a jerk. But, you know, maybe this a hey, Tyler, maybe he makes 60, 70 grand a year, and he was maybe he's gonna sell this thing for 20, 30, who knows, more 50 grand a year, and that was gonna make it take a lot of pressure off him and his family. And he's like, There's this guy, Jason the Gym, like, okay, screw him. And it'd be very easy for him not to think he's screwing me. He's just thinking, Well, I did all the hard work. Right. Like, he just changes my, I did all the hard work. We never agreed to anything. I've changed the concept. People retrofit in their mind. I'm sure that in each of those deals, people rewrite history in their own mind and just thought, oh, he didn't have... Yeah, people like, you know, because I'll ask you, like, why do they sleep at night? And I'm like, I think they probably sleep great. Yeah. Everybody revises it and they just kind of come up with reasons to say, you know, why? And, you know, and probably most of them have a little bit of a point. I mean, Tyler probably has a point in the sense that he did spend a lot of time working. All I did was pitch him the idea and I didn't do any work. But, you know, and so I would probably argue, yeah, he definitely deserved a lot more than half given that i didn't do anything but he didn't shouldn't have done it in that way we should have had you know whatever so anyway that's what happens so nothing happens with it's probably just sitting on a pile of another 500 scripts in some production company's cabinet that no one's ever gonna do anything with well just for your reference uh we've done about two hours at this stage it's uh 6 30 i got two more things to do the quick update on all right and then we're and then we're good yeah, another, another two hours. hours. <laughs> get comfortable, guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. so we got we got. Um, so I just want to say about the uh, the the math team. I mean the math thing update. Yeah. So um, I did a I did 
a, a really interesting thing last week. So one of the uh, one of the moms emailed me, and she's like, her daughter was stressed out. She says, you know, I think you're pushing these kids way too fast, and I think it's too much for them, and I think the homework's excessive, and I understand you're enthusiastic, but I think this is, and I think you're not working with her enough, and da da. And I was like, well, okay. I said, first of all, like all the kids are able to master the material fine. We work with all. I said we spent all last week just working with the kids, slowing everything down, just work with the kids who didn't completely master it, and including your daughter, <laughs> right? And then um, third, half maybe a third of the kids finish the homework in class. I mean, they are done with the homework before we even leave, you know. And I can't help that there are certain kids that are just kind of pokey. They just they're just taking their sweet time, and I, you know, it could take you ten hours if you you know if I'm slow enough, and so. And I said, but you know, look. If you want to pull out, I, I get it. It's fine. I understand. Like, I, I would be really disappointed because I think she has the talent. I think she's having a good time. I think this is going to be really, you know, a good thing for her. But, I, you know. So anyway, what I decided to do, I said, you know what? I think in order to make sure that everyone's doing all right, I need to do a little something extra. So what I did is I sent an email out. And I said, all right, I'm going to do algebra and ice cream. I'm going to be at Penguin's ice cream, right? It's like penguins yogurt and something, but it's like an ice cream store down South Pass. I'll be there for, th- sorry? Penguins, just called Penguin? Yeah. And I'm going to be there for three hours to book a 30-minute slot. Just email me with 30-minute slot. Reply all so everybody knows. And then I'll tutor for 20 minutes and I'll buy them whatever kind of ice cream they want. And so we had seven kids show up and just blew through one after the other. And it was it was really cool because every kid do everything perfectly mm-hmm. and the all except for they would make occasion like one kid got an error because he couldn't read his own handwriting <laughs> like he, he kept his x and his y's you couldn't tell which was which and i'm like well dude i you know i can't do the handwriting for you i mean you gotta he's like yeah i know i know i know and then the other ones were just the occasional arithmetic error so which is really so anyway it was a big hit all the parents who dropped their kids off were super excited and a couple refused to allow me to buy the ice cream. They're like, I have to, this is like too nice or whatever. But, um, and all the kids were like super excited. They were like, cause you know, 20 minutes and then they had ice cream. Like that's nothing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I would work through them. I'd start like, let's start with some problem. Let's build up and let's do it, do it. And then I'm like, all right, you got this. Perfect. Awesome. We're done. What do you want? What ice cream you want? And, um, so then I get an email from this one mom and she's just like, you, that was so nice. That's above and beyond. Like, so, it was it was really nice email, but it was like, um, but it was kind of a cool thing. I mean, you know, I kind of won her over. It wasn't just for her. It was that I was always like, okay, she's just the squeaky wheel. Yeah, there could be a few other kids that might be at home, like I don't understand and this and that, and we don't. I don't want a to the kids to start struggling and get kind of frustrated. And I don't want the parents to start thinking that we're not doing everything we can to help them. So me going on a spend a Sunday doing that they're like really wow you're gonna do that <laughs> like yeah. the parents were shocked you're gonna spend all day Sunday. i'm like yeah fine no problem. So that was cool but anyway the, the kids are doing great cool. and um i thought i had a f- another f- ridiculous story from colby but i don't know i can't remember the 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 the, the story but that's the latest so that we're going full blast i think we're gonna finish up algebra by christmas so um colby is meeting is gonna be meeting um this crowd tomorrow, and he's going to yeah. be—he's a minor celebrity amongst the Texas well, listeners. 
little bit of a notoriety. So, yeah, so Sandy's going to, she said she'll stop by with the kids. I think she might actually book a table. She's going to sit with the kids and then have breakfast and cheesecake. So I don't know if they're going to sit with us or they'll probably sit over at another table. But she's going to bring the kids by. and Right. So you people get to meet Colby. <laughs> you see the, the infamous Colby. <laughs> um, I was with, oh, one other thing I, was, I had been talking about, remember how my, uh, I was learning electrical engineering? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't talk about that in a while. Have Are I? you still doing that? Yeah, so I actually decided to put that on pause, which I, I, I felt bad about, but I realized that I just didn't have the time to do it. So No comment. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, it, was, it was stressing me out. Yeah. Because it was like constantly hanging over your head. It was just homework hanging over your head. It's like, I got to meet tomorrow and I got to do all these problems and this stuff. And I was just like, you know, I was just, I just didn't have the time. I mean, there would be like, a, I'd finally get everything done. It's 10 o'clock at night, finish dinner. And then I'm just like lying in bed and I'm just like, I, I just can't do it. But now what are you going to do? Like, are you going to just feel this kind of too, too bad to restart it? Like there's, there's a point where you may restart it in the next two months. But if you, if you went to six months, then you'd be like, it would just be awkward contacting that guy again. Well, no. So actually, his name's Giacomo. So I see Giacomo at the gym. He actually works out at that gym sometimes. Oh. So I see him like once every week or but two. It's going to become awkward going. To meet no, him. no. We're chat. We joke around, and he's a friend. I mean, we, oh, okay, right. you know, and we just talk. And I just say, hey, and I, and I was thing I told him. I said, look, I have this big push on this mobile project working on for Uber. I just, I got to get to this milestone. I really need to focus on that. And then once that, I put my head up and decide. You know, when he's like, hey, man, whatever. If you want to do it. Next month or two or next year, it's fine, whatever. Okay. That was cool. Cool. Um, I mean, it's fr- it was frustrating because hate, I hate starting something and not finishing it. But then I was like, I just, I've just way overbooked myself, you know, which anyone listening to the show could have told me three years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the bottle I always fight. But I said, all right, well, I just got to just do it. At least, but I did. But what was really great about it is that I, it was a great, a great experiment. You know, I could hire an expert yeah. as a tutor, PhD in electrical engineering, learn something at rapid pace and have fun doing it. It didn't cost very much and it would work, you know, and because um, yeah, a lot of times like, you know, this is the same thing I, you know, conversation I have with Doug at Mill Valley Co-Cup. I don't know. I may have an update on that um, is, you know, we talk about like, you know, well, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. I'm like, you know what? The, the number one thing we want to do is you just want to increase our learning rate. So I don't want to, I think anything we can do to eliminate sitting around speculating about stuff as opposed to actually figuring it out and knowing, or at least think we know, is better. You know, because right now we're not at scale, so let's just let's, let's do that, right? So like learn. So the, the electrical engineering thing is like, I could speculate, could you hire someone or how would it work or this? No, well, I've know. done it. Yeah. I did it. Like I, it's, it was interesting. It's something I always was curious about. Could you do one-on-one tutoring? Could you learn like, high level math or science or something <laughs> like that could you know, would it be awkward or be weird where would you do it you know and I just go to coffee you know go to cafe and once or twice a week and works great great uh format for anybody who's like I want to learn some new thing it's a little more than I can learn on my own all right well um let's let's uh do a wrap up with the uh, an update on the Mill Valley Code Club MVCC so I, did I tell you we have, we've opened a second location? Yep, you did say that. So the second location is open in Bon Air. So we got two locations going. Um, it's up. We're getting a lot of kids in, making good revenue already. I mean, we're not, we won't be break. I mean, hopefully we'll break even in a couple months, you know, something like that. 
Um, we spoke in depth about loan equity debt financing last. We did time. that last yeah. time. The the did I talk about last time we hired we hired a young guy to, you did, to do the, the curriculum, curriculum yeah. so he's really sharp so he's really focused on developing curriculum to keep the middle schoolers engaged because really there's two groups you're targeting one is the elementary which is like the first through fifth grade and you're really marketing to the parents and that's a whole different thing than than middle school because you're really they're more independent you're really marketing to them his parents are less deciding well I'm just going to sign them up so. That's a whole nother things. But then kids, they become very socially aware about who do I am in class with? Who are all these other people? And can, what do I want to doing? Is this cool? You know, is it, am I too smart for this? Or can I do this on my own? So you have to kind of, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. Than teaching the uh, one through first through fifth graders. So we're kind of, that's the thing where you're learning, right? Like figuring out like what's, what works. So anyway, it's, it's, it's coming along. We're working. It's going to take some time, but uh, it's, it's working. I think, I still think that investment was probably a, it's a risky one, but I think it was a, Oh, it's going to pay I think off. It'll, I, I think it'll so. pay off. I think, I think the number one thing, I mean, a couple the, 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 the core principles are one, it's a business I believe in generally. I see the demand and, uh, and the market and all that kind of stuff. I believe in the market and the demand, but most importantly, like Doug is just really, really sharp and, mm-hmm dedicated and focused and 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 um he's a, a very thoughtful person he thinks very deeply about everything and trying to figure things out and he has enough experience with startups and being a cto and writing code and hiring people and managing people and talking you know like he just gets it so it's kind of like i don't have to be stressing out like is this guy making just dumb decision after <laughs> dumb decision it's like every time he does something i'm like yeah i think that's about right that's probably what i do like it's not a whole lot of times where i just think it's just wrong so I don't know. So I believe in it. So we'll see. Great. I think it's good. You want to wrap this up well, and go get some sushi? So where, where, yeah, well, I was going to say, where are we going after this? We're going sushi. Sushi Roku. Sushi Roku. So we have, and so it's a good time to quick. So it's it's about 20 to 7, yeah. and we got to walk over. It's a 15-minute walk, and yeah. our reservations are for 7. So Fantastic. Well, um, I just want to say thank you very much, everyone, for coming and uh, putting up with us for two hours like this. Um, it's It's been great. Um, thank you. Yeah. all right i guess that's a wrap we're out all right let's get some fish (laughs) i cannot believe you guys do that every week (laughs) (laughs) i I I just realized listening to it that i listened over the course of like three or four days right like in like shorter time periods Uh like it's very exhausting like in one one day oh sorry no no it's just uh, it's funny yeah it's um it's yeah Actually, for me, it's always, if I see that it's close to two hours, I'm always happy. <laughs> if I see that it's, like, lower than an uh, hour and a half, then I'm like, what the hell? What the <laughs> why why is that? Because you want short. it to be... I just want it to be long enough, because, you know, like, I think it's, you know, yeah, you know, I use it when I'm driving, so it's not really that, you know, I'm sitting and, you know, listening dedicatedly, so, you know, the more content, the better, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's my philosophy. Before but, you listen to it in, in double speed. Yeah, but it's like, you know, I listen to everything in double speed, like audiobooks, so it's not just, you know, I'm listening to texting in double speed. <laughs> right, right, right. It literally makes no sense to listen to it double speed and then want more of it. And then be pissed, <laughs> and then be pissed off that there's not more of it when you can just 
listen to it at single speed and you get twice the amount. No, I'm not like, getting twice the amount. I'm, I'm still getting the same content, right? Yeah, but like... He just needs... Well, you know, I, I get it. No well, I get it because if you... You know, they say that... Because it'll talk twice as fast. Right. Well, you know, there's a saying that I, I think that the brain processes speed... It processes information about twice as fast as people speak. And that's why people lose focus and start thinking about something else. Yeah, exactly. It's actually easier to, to focus on what you're saying when it's faster. Otherwise, you're spinning off another thread thinking about something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Like, I, for, I haven't listened last mm-hmm. time and tell what they're talking about. How can you listen to Jason at double speed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talks at double well, speed. You, you should try it. It's not so bad. I mean, honestly. <laughs> that is nuts. You said I, I don't have to listen to this podcast. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, does, does it, it must feel different, like just be, having to sit through the well, entire I think thing. The, I think the magic is gone. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I get to like, see them John, there. John Lennon always said, "Never meet your heroes." Never meet your heroes. Not that we're heroes, but I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I, would, <yeah. laughs> I didn't realize how comfortable it was. Yeah, oh. it is a comfortable little. Yeah, it's, it's very nice. That's why I kind of end up as as the show goes on. I end up yawning more. You know, because it goes to the end, not because of you, but just because it's comfortable in the sofa for two hours. You're like, oh, yeah.